Uh, starting 10 minutes late as usual. I'm trying to get this uh, before show banter that uh, Chica seems to like so much. I like it. Before the the title comes in, you got to say something pithy and. You know, like what what ride were you going to <laughs> oh, that one is, uh, I believe. You know what? Let me. Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The The incidents, incidents, the the places... My friend, friend, we we cannot keep keep this a secret any longer. Let Let us punish punish the guilty. Let us us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about... Radio Mysterioso. I can't stand the shocking facts. Oh, wow, that's a lot louder. Good, it's louder than everybody else's microphone. Is that creature from the Black Lagoon music? No, it's uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space. Okay, thank you. Ed Wood, my hero. <laughs> One of them, anyway. I keep I telling Walter he's... Uh, Ed Wood when I grow up. <laughs> I'm not going to grow up, so I guess I can't be Ed Wood. You can still like a girl. I've got to grow the skinny John Waters mustache to make the whole thing complete. Other, but my face is too big for that. I would... I would uh, it, I th- it, 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 you ought to try it, just to see. Robert, yeah, Robert told me that, what, did, were you there when he told us that? He said one day he was, had to shave off his mustache or something, and he said he shaved it into a Hitler mustache and left it like that for one day. Luckily, it was <laughs> April Fool's Day. <laughs> it's Radio Mysterioso. We're here with uh, Jane Podyawa. Mm-hmm. I did it right, finally. Chica Bruce and, whoa, there's the... I love that song. Um, and Walter Bosley. I think I'll keep that song playing. I love that song, and I know what the name of it is. It's got... It's got everything. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that is in the background. I don't know if it's a theremin or just somebody going, ooh. Uh, we were out in the uh, desert last weekend shooting a documentary, as yet unnamed, um, supposedly dealing with Southern California weirdness. Um, so our guests are in the studio today. We're going to have... Uh, Adam Go Rightly, who's basically producing the thing, call in, in at about nine. Uh, Andy Colvin, who is also in the film, will call in probably in about very soon. In fact, I should hook my phone up. Um, yeah, he's dialing. Wonder what the hell's going on. Um, so while I'm trying to do that, I didn't put a. You know, I I know everybody. Um, everybody's cool, and I didn't write up any questions because if I know everybody, I usually don't do that. If I've got a guest on I've never had on before, yeah, then that's when I type out the 20 questions. But I didn't do it this time. So what the hell did we do last weekend? I, I, I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah, what the hell happened? I'm really reconstructing the pictures we're taking at the time. Oh, does it? Oh, yeah. well, how? 
Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to reconstruction from pictures that were taken at the time. Yeah, you have to be able yeah. to hear yourself like you're hearing me. Otherwise, it's not coming through. Gotcha. Here we go. Okay. In the Andy car, he had questions prepared. I'll turn that down. Sorry. <laughs> what was I getting? My phone. <laughs> I'm not on drugs, I promise. We talked a bit, quite a bit, about um, psychedelic drugs for this documentary. Um, then I went and talked to a bunch of school kids on uh, Friday, and I was very tempted to say, and kids, don't do drugs. But I can't in good conscience say that to kids. They'd, they'd see more UFOs if they took drugs. Um, I think probably the only UFOs I've seen have been on drugs. Mm. Uh, and then so... I can't prove that to anybody else whatsoever, so it's not really worth anything. No, but this is all... It was in Topanga, too, which is, ob you know... Very bad for my whole argument with... Ongoing now with my mother for decades. What's, what's the argument? Well, that she says that the only reason why I saw that earth-shattering UFO that, that changed my worldview was because I was on drugs, and it, it wasn't. Were you on drugs at that time in your life? Um, at all, ever? How old there were you, like 13? I was 13, or, yeah. so there, there might have been some marijuana involved. but Oh, that'll make you see UFOs everywhere. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Neither does booze. No, booze does not either. But I don't even think we were high. I don't, yeah, I don't know where they get that from. Were you drinking? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, were you drinking? Although I did read an article about um, the problem of... Uh, alcoholism amongst um, Hispanics and um, like some guys will drink like a couple cases of beer a day and one guy had gotten so drunk that he um, he had thought a Christmas tree was his father and hugged it and knocked it over that's that's a sad Christmas story <laughs> it's pretty sad although you know we got Christmas coming up soon what with 80 degrees out today I don't know. Did did his father in any way resemble a Christmas tree? Well, I guess he did at that point. But when I read that story, I thought, okay, there's one story in zillions where I've heard that somebody hallucinated anything while they were on alcohol, much less a light flying through the sky or a structured craft landing in front of somebody and doing whatever. Were you drinking? Now, hold on a minute. You can hallucinate a whole lot of good-looking women when you're on alcohol. Right, right. But that's that's in a, that's in a dark bar. And that's involving... That's involving uh, uh, urges that have nothing to do with wanting to see UFO, UFO I think. Did he hug his Christmas tree dad in a dark bar? Yeah, uh, did, was he wearing beard goggles like when he saw his dad? Probably, but there are probably... You, you, yeah, well, that for that matter, to be drunk and see a UFO, you'd have to be wearing UFO goggles. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. We talked about that during the film, too. The uh, Remember the ads for weird stuff? We used to get people sending in ads. There was this guy. What was his name? Well, I got he, cosmic awareness from... I was a, an aficionado of cosmic awareness from the back of UFO magazine. Did somebody... Uh, was that was a, a group? Newsletter. Did they send you stuff? Yeah, it was a newsletter. You got this... Who, who uh, did that? I remember that, I think. They're from Olympia, Washington. They're online. They're awesome. It's awesome. Is it the same group that did the movie... I don't know if they ever made a movie, but um, it was a involved a channel whose name, the, the main guy, and then he passed away. His name was Paul Shockley, 
And then they, he was replaced by a woman whose first name was Grace. Oh, the, was Shockley that like racist eugenics guy? No. Okay, there was another Shockley that from the 50s or 60s or something that had that. Never mind. What, what, what sort of weird products were you considering ordering from the back of your magazine? I never considered ordering anything, but um, this well, guy A UFO had, dating service would be pretty awesome, I, I think. Alien Resistance Movement was this guy out in Palm Springs. Yes. Kusamano, I think. It was like Kusamano Engineering something or other. But he had like... Um, stop alien abduction with this shield. And there were like these line drawings done on a computer, so you couldn't quite tell what it was. They had an alien abduction, stop alien abduction helmet. Looked like a, it looked like a, um, the drawing looked like a bicycle helmet with pencils stuck in it, like sticking forward. Uh, I'm pretty sure I ordered a chastity belt from that guy. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I think they have a franchise in France. There's a frere. French franchise? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've chatted in French on Facebook with this dude. Yeah. And, what is uh, he trying to sell? He wants to, he wanted to tell me and I was like I got to go. I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really like chat. I think it's rude. You know, I've turned it off. Oh, yeah. The other thing was um in the back of Gnosis magazine they used to have ads for an alien defense rabbit. Oh, wow. Well, random. Yeah, I, it sounds like it sounds like a bunch of words just thrown together, but no, they sold this they sold this little stuffed rabbit. I asked, I actually called up what's who used to publish Gnosis. Um, God, I can't remember his name. There were two guys. Um, I can't remember. Anyway, I called them up because I'd written an article for them. And I said, "Wait, wait, wait, wait!" Before we hang up, remember that alien defense rabbit ad you used to run? They go, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." He said, "Everybody in the office thought that was the most hilarious thing." I said, "Did you ever get one?" He said, "Yeah, they are." They said. It's Oh. One, it was a stuffed rabbit with a crystal like shoved up its butt or something oh, or somewhere in it to to it supposedly warded off aliens with this were, were, charged were they crystal that was after they got one. I don't know. I guess you wouldn't know. I, mm. it probably worked. Yeah, maybe it worked. I mean, it, it, I just wanted to have one, especially if it had printed all the way down the side of an alien defense rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta find the ad. It was it was, it was just a picture of like this night's s- cityscape with like lights on and stuff, and then underneath in big block letters said "Alien Defense Rabbit: Protect Yourself Against Alien Abduction" with this cuddly little rabbit with a charged crystal inside or whatever. Charged, charged by what? I don't know. I, charged I'm, by I'm, somebody staring at it and chanting. I guess I, I'm getting some great ideas for Christmas stocking stuffers. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think uh, alien defense rabbits all around. Yeah, you know what? Brilliant. Brilliant. I got a message. Andy doesn't. Andy Colvin. What's the number? Oh, uh, what is the number? He can call my. If you're listening, Andy, you can call my phone number. It's okay. We'll put you on. We'll have to use one of the microphones though. Um, Probably a good time for a plug why, for the, the show. Bat phone, the bat phone not working. Um. Well, it should be working. You, you noticed. The only thing it's missing is a light inside that lights it up. In fact, if I can fix it to do that, I will. Oh, yeah, yeah. The cone of silence cover for it. Right on. The red phone's ringing. Dead air. So anyway, as we were saying... Are you, uh, do you? Do you?
you have your computer on with the show on? Andy? Can you hear me? We can hear you great. Can you hear me? Uh, barely. Is there a delay on this or something? Yes, there's a delay. Sir, could you turn your radio down, please, sir? Okay. <laughs> yeah, there's a little delay. In fact, I'll probably have to put the phone near one of the speakers, which enters into um, feedback problems. I can, I can call yourself. No, well, uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, barely. Oh, well, let me see if I can get the send thing working properly. Can you hear it better? No. No difference, huh? How about now? This thing's a piece of crap. <laughs> Are you on the air? Yes, we're on the air. <laughs> With our piece of shit system here for people calling in, you know that. You've done this show before. Well, I heard you talking about the crystal rabbit protector thing, and I thought, man, I better call in. Yeah. Do you own such a thing, Andy? Oh, well, I heard I heard uh, tale of it during the trip. The, yeah. The and, alien uh, shoved to up that its ass part again. Got the itchy. It's an amazing device. I, it's. Really, uh, it's difficult to hear anyone else uh, in there. <laughs> I can hear Greg, but I'm hearing like little scratchy sounds in the back. But uh, I can telepath the rest of the way. Oh, okay. Well, uh, usually what we do, well, now I have the phone right next to my voice, so you can, right next to my mouth, so you can hear me. Um, Andy, had you ever been out to that area, out to the desert there, out to the Integratron, all those places? And if not, um, how did it affect you? What did you think? Uh, I have not, I, I, I have not been there. It's always a place I've wanted to go, and I'm glad I went. I think I sort of fell in love with California, you know, on that trip. It was what happened the last really time? Great. I like the I like the weather. I like the desert. It's good for my old basketball uh, bones. Um, and I thought that there was or is some kind of definite energy there in the whole area or just you know around giant rock and integratron and somebody showing up here go ahead well the whole area you know the, i was looking at the place names and noticing some of those old favorites the more names the mon names it's obviously sort of our same uh i guess you know the older cultures that were somewhat mysterious that we don't seem to have more of uh, I don't know European or some other kinds of things going on. Really, um, where, where where did you pick the, the European thing up? Well, just the Moorish angle. The it's more of the African uh, diaspora, how that may have played out over the country, throughout the country, different areas having natives, uh, different kinds of natives with different bloodlines, basically, and. Um, uh, and they, you know, it gets intermingled with the Native American stuff, so it kind of gets hard to tell. But uh, I just saw a lot of things, names and things there that I have seen in Ohio. Oh, I see what you mean, yeah. Yeah. Naming you know, conventions. Yeah, more of a Name Moorish, game. going in a Moorish direction than a Native, quote, Native direction. And um, I guess there's lots of crystalline structures uh, under the ground, right? I mean, you've got that big river flowing under there that's going north. Uh, and I think there was talk of crystals in the ground around there that are... I yeah, mean, all that kind of stuff to amplify um, 
psychic abilities and things like that. Um, how about, I, you know, it's, uh, it's a little unscientific, but. <laughs> well, if it was good enough for Bob Hope, you know, then it's good was, enough for. Was Bob Hope into crystals? No, but he was one of the founders of Palm Springs. Oh, yeah, that's right. Did you know that Bob Hope had that deal with uh, with uh, Palm Springs for his water? No. He, they see, he made a deal with Palm Springs that he would have free water service for his entire life, but then he would donate his place to the city for whatever they want to do with it when he died. But they didn't expect he was going to live for like 90-something years. <laughs> and he used the water like, you know, he had pools and he way overused his water ration. And uh, he made out like a bandit. But that's the only Bob story. Bob, oh, sorry, no. Oh, Are you okay. there, Andy? Hello? <laughs> what am I hearing? I hear you. I hear you, Andy, but I hear all this stuff. This phone is picking up other things. Hi. Uh, do you want to try the cell phone? But then I've got to, I've got to mic you with one of the mics. Uh, maybe if somebody, uh, I've got my cell phone here, I could call someone else there, and maybe they could just leave the line open, I could hear it. Oh, okay, uh, I see what you mean. Just put that up, because there won't be any feedback. Yeah. Like yeah, I okay. can, uh, I'll just, uh, I'll make the call here, and you'll hear a ring. Okay. Yeah, uh, we're peeking. Do you want me to call yours, Greg? Yeah, sure. Um... Yeah, but uh, you'll have to hang up at about 9 because that's when uh, Adam was going to call. Oh, uh, you can call Chica's phone. Okay. She just Hold picked on. it up. So we were out there for like uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Friday night there was a fire, a talk around the fire, which I missed because I could not get out of work in time. Um, you just missed the, the, the crazed park ranger guy who uh, came to scream at everybody. It was it was wild. He was kind of like the great Santini or something. He was he was definitely like the bad love ranger. Did he? Uh, did they get him on video doing this? Uh, sadly, no. I, I don't think anybody was really prepared for what was to happen. Yeah. Uh, no, no. It was it, it was Andy basically. It was just being loud. He he and there was the uh, yeah we were. We, Barbara and I had left to get pizza and uh, firewood, and apparently the boys got a little loud in our absence, so when we rolled up at 10 o'clock, it looked like the party or the rave was just going to start escalating from there, and he wanted to put a kibosh on it, and uh, the English and Australian members of our group didn't really realize, I mean, they didn't quite get what he was pissed off about, and so they're perfectly innocent questions really just kind of needled him to the point where he's just screaming incoherently and then he went away he wasn't actually a ranger he was a campground host so his biggest threat was that he was going to go get the ranger when he get the ranger then you're in trouble you're in big trouble mister exactly it was one of those things okay yeah because I didn't get there in time at and I missed the whole spiel and the whole campfire thing because I think Adam wanted to do that because we used to have these things called cookouts where people from uh, people we knew that did zines and things like that would all get together and we'd all basically camp for like four or five days, talk about weird stuff, go exploring, and um, didn't seem to be any girls on the trip. Sorry. 
But then we didn't know anybody. We didn't know Chica at the time. We didn't know any writers or publishers or anything that were women at the time we were doing it. And I'm not sure when um, Paranoia Magazine came out. Remember that, that that one? It's still going, actually. It's one of the few zines actually still going is Paranoia, done by uh, Joan Dark, and I can't remember oh, her yeah. actual name. That's, that's been going since, well, what, early 90s? Something like that. Yeah. I guess so. We didn't know about her. Um, also, the people seem to cluster in Texas and California, so we called it the Tex-Euphornia kookout. Anyway, <laughs> um, I think Adam was remembering those, and he wanted to kind of recreate that, where we just kind of sit around at night and yak. And we actually had one of those kookouts in that actual campground where you were doing the, the, the videotaping. Were you in the site number 23? We don't know. Uh, I can't remember if we were in 23. Yes, that's the site. There, uh, uh, he, I don't know if he ordered that site or it just came up. Um, for a reservation. Can Andy hear us now? Uh, yeah, I can hear you. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you're asking me a direct question, uh, talk into the phone, though, if you can. Oh, okay, okay. We might have to hand the phone around to do that. Oh, okay, thanks. Uh, you did, and we did go to the Salton Sea. Do you, wow, I can hear myself echoing. Oh, okay. I sound like an old lady, I think. <laughs> yeah. We went to the Salton Sea. And we went to Salvation Mountain. I, I don't know. How many people here was at the first trip? Was it Chica, certainly, and probably uh, Andy, too? Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you like Salvation Mountain? Did you talk to Leonard, the guy that, uh, that uh, painted the mountain? I didn't talk to him... Uh, I just sort of uh, went around and photographed stuff, and I, yeah, it was very interesting. Uh, it, it got more interesting as it went, actually. Uh, but the inside parts were really interesting, and, and I just the whole place uh, out there with all the uh, uh, slab city—it's sort of this free place where people can go if they don't have, uh, you know, place to stay and this it was sort of like a example of christianity at work which is kind of cool to see actually i don't know i guess it's more like faith at work the other and the good time too because he doesn't come and proselytize at you he says welcome have fun you know if you like it great and that's about it and i said oh and he likes if you bring him paint i forgot to bring him some paint because that's what he uses for the mountain i said all i've got is white he goes oh i mix it with other stuff bring it next time so I'm, I will bring it. Um, he likes donations of paint or, or money if you can, because I think he just—I don't know if he's got a pension or what. Out there. Do you know, Jane? I, I don't believe so. I actually talked to him pretty extensively, and uh, he's his backstory is is really interesting. That he he'd started by making a, a God is love parachute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He uh, his his car broke down there. Uh, I think about 30 years ago, and the people of Slab City greeted him with kindness. He's um, he's got some learning disabilities, and he's autistic. And um, his message is really quite simple. It's just that 
God is love and love is everything and um, and he believes in keeping it very very simple that way and so at the time he was building his masterpiece which is the God is love balloon and he was building it out of scraps of other balloons because apparently he got a bunch of balloon scraps from a balloon warehouse oh like uh, a hot air balloon exactly he was uh, he was pretty much going on faith rather than technology with that, too, and he managed to get his balloon to about 200 feet long um, and couldn't really understand why it wasn't filling up with air the way that he expected it to. And it turns out that your average hot air balloon is about 60 to 80 feet in height and not 200 feet, right. <laughs> and that kind of, uh, it, it was an issue. So... Uh, the back part of his structure is actually a representation of a balloon lying on its side, filling with air, although that's unlikely to ever happen. And he's 79. He paints on it when the mood strikes him. He's not quite as constructing as he used to be. And, uh, and sometimes he gets bored and just wanders away. <laughs> he didn't know that. I, the, no wonder I've never seen him there. Yeah, he, I've been there like eight, nine times, and I've never seen the the guy that made makes Salvation Mountain, Leonard Knight. And he was there this time when I drove up. He actually greeted me. I was the only person there, and he was really cool. Oh, he was very impressed with you. He's really into things that fly around. And oh, uh, I said, could I please fly around your mountain? He said, oh wow, that'd be great. Go right ahead. <laughs> I thought he was going to say, well, I don't know, maybe you might run into something. No, he was no, totally he's, for it. He's not that kind of old guy. He uh, lives in his truck. He's accomplished all of this without running water or electricity. So it's it's kind of an accomplishment just right there. Yeah. He's got five cats. <laughs> they live in the truck with him. I've never I've seen one of the cats. I they think. all look the same. He You've was asleep when, when, I, when I landed and came back. He was asleep. I couldn't talk to him. That was a lot more than I ever knew about Leonard Knight. He's a really neat guy. He's, it's definitely worth stopping and, and having a chat with him. You know, Andy, you mentioned the uh, Moorish influence. How do you mean? Why, what did you mean by that? With the place names out in the... Oh. Yeah, the, well, there's a place out there called Mecca, but that's... Um, I would assume it's because it's in the desert and they grew dates there, so they figured they would just name it Mecca, but... Well, like, wasn't there a valley called Morongi? Uh, Morongo Valley. Morongo um, Valley. Yeah, well, not not so much on this trip uh, in particular. I did notice some, but just all over Southern California. I've already looked at the maps, you know, because I got interested in California a year or two ago in, in this regard, and there's definitely a lot there. I mean, the name California is a African name. And uh, I thought it was named after Queen Khalifa. Is that a African? Well, I thought she was an Amazonian queen that ruled an island of women, right? Well, uh, Amazonian is refers to African, and at least uh, I think that was Peter Moon's take on it. Okay. Uh, Amazonian doesn't mean uh, necessarily the Amazon River. It means anything that was uh, wild and untamed. No, it's no? Greek for the tribe of women who hacked their breast off. Oh, that's right. That's right. Why am I not hearing 
podcast. No, it's S C something. What are they calling it? Oh, like the, oh, the uh, Scythians. The Scythians. Yes. yes. Yeah. As in the Odyssey, the Scythian mode. Yeah. Yes, it, it goes back uh, much farther than, than, than who would. They were old when the Greeks. Of course, that was working earlier. Well, the, the Scythians had this really amazing tomb burial, right? Yeah, you killed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Scythian, Scythian. How do you say that? Scythian. Scythian. No, Tibetans do that now. There's also a group in India that's big into that. I think it's a Buddhist thing. But what's interesting is Native American tribes. Oh, yeah? Well, it's, you know, if you don't want things to rot, it's stink things up. Yeah, it's a lot of the things you go farther back, you kind of go, oh, this is kind of interesting, and you go, well, actually, it's kind of common sense. Yeah. It makes sense. It doesn't spoil the groundwater, you know, it gets... Maybe I should have written some questions down. Okay, well, how was Giant Rock since I missed Giant Rock Day? It's pretty big. <laughs> oh, I've been there, but... Were you, Andy, I liked your pictures from Giant Rock. Uh, what did you think about when we were there? What, what did I think about while we were there? Yeah, what, what, how did Giant Rock affect you? Because it's, it's a, it's a uh, I dare say, it's spiritual place for me because of all the things that went on there and the things that used to happen there and uh, what people say they saw there, whether I believe them or not. But just the spiritual side of the UFO um, phenomena, especially in the 50s, 60s, 70s, until it was, uh, the giant rock conventions were ended in 78, I think. Um, but that, you know, I've got, I've got kind of a weird cultish spiritual connection to it. Um, what, what were your thoughts when you were there? Well, I sort of went in with an a, a open mind. I didn't really have any preconceptions about it other than the old stories about the contactee uh, get-togethers and uh, so I just went in cold like that and um, when I started hearing the other stories about it that may point to other kinds of uh, activities there then it really started getting even more interesting because I realized that that was part and parcel with the contactee movement, you know, when you have secret things going on, uh, that's where you have your contactees, and it seems started to really become more meaningful uh, as to what was going on there, and I think it sort of became a template for 
what happened in West Virginia later, but actually uh, at the same time too, because there were some early, they haven't been covered much, but there were some early contactees in the Ohio Valley in the late 40s and early 50s at the same time. Which oh, I didn't, like Ray I, Barker was involved out in Giant Rock. Oh, okay. I didn't even know that. I did know that Gray Barker went to Giant Rock at least once, um, basically yeah, because of that thing, book. John Keel, you know, had some stuff on this, but it wasn't, like, propagated. But in some of his talks, he talked about that the, the West Virginia and Ohio UFO witnesses were really being interrogated heavily by the Air Force, uh, sort of being sequestered after their sightings. You know, starting in the 47, 48, and, and carrying on through to 52, and then there was a big drop-off after, well, you know, some other things happened. It, it, uh, like, the CIA decided to make UFOs a tactical issue, which is, sounds... Keel's opinion was they spent five years really, really studying these people that had seen UFOs or something like that, maybe... I guess if you're more paranoid, you'd consider that they might re perhaps be programmed. But it, it sort of ended in 52 and then came back again uh, during Mothman. So in that interim period, you know, things kind of died out at Giant Rock. And then, you know, some of the stuff shifted. The template was, was there, and you started seeing contactees you know, all through all, in other parts of the country. Yeah. Yeah, most of them were out here, but then there were sporadic ones. And then there were probably thousands and thousands of silent ones you never really heard about. And um, there are there is a literature of contactee stuff from, um, from the 1930s on. They didn't call it contactee stuff then. I mean, Blavatsky, you could call a contactee, actually. Um, and some other people, uh, 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 William Dudley Pelly, people like that. Um, but uh, I'm sure there's there's thousands of people that had similar experiences, and they just never wrote them down, or they just like put out one pamphlet, and nobody ever heard from them again. Um, some of that is in that uh, uh, Gordon Melton's um, Encyclopedia of American Religions, I think. And he also did a contactee or UFO religions uh, book, too. Uh, valuable stuff to have if you can get what it. What I noticed was a real similarity between the Giant Rock stuff and the Mothman stuff, the basic overall um, uh, set of, a, set of uh, factors, you know, uh, secret projects and so on and so forth, spy activity, um, and those, and then having to have potentially a cover for that, you might have a lot more UFO activity or sightings that sort of get, you know, the old Area 51 thing where they just sort of call everything a UFO in order to keep people from speculating about what new craft we actually have. I don't know what was being tested out there in the 50s, though. I mean, I think there's more of a connection with the Hughes aircraft, because I think um, Orfeo Angelucci, both him and uh, I think Angelucci, and definitely Van Tassel worked for Hughes um, for quite a few years. In fact, Van Tassel requi retired from Hughes aircraft to open Giant Rock after he had his contacts, so supposedly, and started building the Integratron. 
Um, and well, in the, uh, in '57, if you followed the gemstone file, then then Hughes was taken over by Onassis, and that dovetails, oddly enough, with when we really got a hold of some of the anti-gravity uh, patents and drawings from the Germans. It took a, there was a little lag time there where we were trying to chase them all down and. And that would have been out on Long Island with Schauberger. Uh, oh, I thought they brought Schauberger to the Northwest. I do know they brought him to Texas, I think. Or was that, no, that was the Horton brothers came to Texas for a little bit. Yeah, the deal was, the deal was struck on Long Island with, with, with Schauberger. Oh. And then, and then you had a few years where they, I think, they were building these, working on the designs. Perhaps in the TNT area, and then uh, and then they perhaps had to move them because I think the sh the plant started to be shut down at that time a little after that. So they may have been gearing up to move uh, some of these craft. And the um, UFO stories were propagated there. I mean, because you know there were things perhaps flying around. So this is like one of my more recent theories about it and. Uh, the, the the men in black that first came to Point Pleasant then were Greek. Greek? That's what I've been told. Yeah, they were Greek, so that tells you that there's probably a use slash Anassis connection to to Giant Rock. You know, the same one that was at Giant Rock was had gone on to Point Pleasant. Wait, Greek, was that, was that just supposed to be a euphemism back then for they were homosexuals or something? What? No, no, actually Greek. And he's talking about Onassis, and then now he made the connection that possibly that, that people had seen the first men in black type people out in the area, uh, Mothman areas, were, they were saying they were Greek, which I hadn't heard before. Yeah, I was told that by a, a prominent person in Point Pleasant who's still there and active and everything, and it's just sort of a, one of the things that, you know, was told to me in private and not to say who said it. And I, he didn't appear to know even the significance of it exactly, why, why they were Greek. Hmm. It was just an odd detail that people just don't like to talk about for some reason. So. I just heard recently from Barbara Harris, I think, through Adam Gorightly, that the guy that used to have the lease on Giant Rock, Frank Gritzer, was in fact not German, um, but uh, I think a natural-born American citizen. Jane, did you hear that? Uh, yeah, Barbara's been in contact with his family, and uh, apparently he's actually from Virginia or, or something huh? like that. Yeah, possibly. Uh, but huh. it would have been uh, like 1890s or something. It would have been really early. Right. Because he was in his 70s or 80s, I think, when they chased him out of there in the... Uh, it was World War II. He would have been in his early 50s. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um. But yeah, he uh, he was blown up in '49, I think. Yeah, some agents came and said, "You your lease has expired or something like that. You got to get out of here." And he said, "No," and he holed up in the uh, in the hole underneath the rock, and they threw in supposedly tear gas and ignited his dynamite and blew him up. And when uh, Van Tassel said when he moved in, there was still blood on the walls from where Kritzer had been blown up. 
Yeah, it was, it was pretty gruesome. Um, there are a number of variations on the story. That's actually the one that George Van Tassel told the most. Uh, it does look like maybe he did have some Nazi leanings and was uh, subsequently estranged from his family. Really? Y- yeah. Because there's other, there's other Southern California Nazi connections, like the uh, Rustic Canyon that was... Uh, was uh, a headquarters for some sort of Nazi training camp in the 1930s until the FBI came in and told them to cut it out and carted some people away. Yeah, we have one of those in La Crescenta, too. Uh, Yeah? Yeah, La Crescenta Valley Park used to be Hindenburg Park, and it was a big, big place for Bund rallies. Amazing. I, I didn't know that. There's a whole, like, history of Nazi connections to Southern California that... A lot of people don't know about, and also they were afraid that they were building bases in Mexico or something. So there were agents going down there and checking that out, and I can't remember if they had actually found anything. My research, I think they said they'd found like the beginnings of some sort of uh, beachhead or whatever you want to call it they'd made in Baja California somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> a beer garden in Baja, yeah, which is where that umpa music comes from, right? No, that that's earlier. That's a that's Mexican a that's a much earlier. Con- I'm just saying. That's a much earlier connection. Actually, there is a German connection to that kind of music, the polka umpa music, that uh, that you hear. You know, that that uh, one form of Mexican music is is uh, sounds very German. Yeah. This is working now. I think. Yeah, it's working. There we go. I spaced out with the name and that it's it's the romantic music. It's from Guadalajara. Like Tejano? No. It's the one where the ladies sing. They're just like really expressive. No. I don't think it has ladies. I think that you hire guys and it's got a huge like bass. The bass is a huge. It's got mariachi. Yeah. That's it. The Nazis are behind mariachi music? No. I think there was a... They had a queen that was Austrian in, in Mexico. Oh, yeah. That's the, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, that actually makes a lot of sense. And in fact, I should put in a plug right now for the Monsters of Accordion tour, which is uh, going off on Sunday at the Troubadour. The Monsters of Accordion? Monsters of Accordion. Is that Duckman Doo guy in that? Uh, I, I actually am he, I'm not aware of what the, the, the lineup is, but I hope so. Where is it? Yeah, the Troub. Oh man, I thought it was on here. Um, there's a there's a guy who's and I'm sh- I think he is going to be in that show. Really? <laughs> yeah, he does stuff like this. I'm sure he's in this show. Wow. He said I was his friend, which came as some surprise. I spoke into his eyes. I thought you died alone. I gotta get to the. Oh no. 
Not me. I never lost control. Your face. He does good stuff. You know, it's it's really <laughs> phenomenal that that just in the last five minutes, accordion music could be tied to Nazis in Germany and um, mariachi music yes. and. Uh, and some guy who got so drunk he hugged a Christmas tree thinking that it was his dad. Yeah. Or or even the sex pistols. I'm speechless. I think I found my new favorite album. <laughs> yeah, that's Duckman Do. I can't remember his real name. If your name is Duckman Do, you don't need another name. <laughs> he doesn't like cats, I guess. I don't know. He likes ducks better. Oh. I don't know. Um, a- Andy's still there going, yes, yes, yes. Accordion music. This is the best show on radio. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, there is no <laughs> script. <laughs> yeah, well, what I was saying earlier is that I usually will type up 20 questions or whatever for whoever's on, but I know everybody, and if I know people well enough or I figure, oh, we got enough to talk about, I don't do that because we just ramble. And uh, sometimes the rambling it gets very intricate and incredible, and other times it's rambling. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, Duckman do the the other thing we did, which I thought was fun, and you and you and Chica um, didn't listen to most of it, but we went to Pioneer Town and went to see a concert with Graham Rabbit, who I always wanted to see. You stayed for that, uh, but then the um, but Spindrift came on, which seemed like they were out of tune or something like that. This is this is a place out in uh, where they actually built a, they used to build film sets there, and then a whole community built up around it. It was called Pioneer Town, I think, originally, um, uh, because it was just for film sets for filming. They they did uh, when was it built? Thirties, forties? Uh, I, I think late thirties, early forties. Right, and now there's a whole community out there, and real estate out there for sale, and a great club called Pappy and Harriet's, which has been around forever. And uh, all kinds of big acts come to play there. Um, I guess, can you think of any? I mean, I went and saw Calexico there once, who probably people listening to the show know them. Who? Gary Busey's son. Apparently, Eric Burden comes out of retirement every so often and plays there. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the people on the wall. Lucinda Williams. Right, right. Yeah, cr- the uh, Cracker and Camper Van Ta- Beethoven campout things have been going there for like five or six years. Right, Robert's a big fan. Yes. Uh, I couldn't get in touch with Robert. And we saw Spindrift, and they sounded not so good there because I don't think their monitors were wrong or something. No, I think the monitors were wrong. I think it was kind of cranked up a little too high, and they went flat, and so it was yeah. just loud and flat. Which was unfortunate because when they actually play... And they can hear what they're doing. They sound like this, which is much better than we heard there. And I bought the CD when we were there. The funny thing was that the um, the uh, director, uh, Sam, said about two days earlier, he said, "Have you heard of this band Spindrift? I think you might like them." And then, unbeknownst to us, they were playing that night. That Out of no total happenstance. Yeah, I like their stuff. I mean, it's like if you, it's like uh, hardcore. Spaghetti Western music. 
And this is this is actually I thought this was a fake soundtrack for something called Legend of God's Gun. No, they made a film. Like a bunch of buddies got together and then they did the music for it. That's awesome. Yeah. And I want to get the film. They were selling the film there, but I didn't realize they were selling the film. This is El Somero. See, Can I uh, jump in here? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, another synchronicity, uh, <coughs> synchronicity excuse me, with Sam was the uh, when I, at the very end of the shooting, asked him to finally tell his paranormal story. Yeah. And his story is that he, and this is his only uh, experience, is that he saw something smashed up with his face smashed up against his window uh, one night and then saw it out in the yard glowing and it left some traces and apparently scratched his name in the dirt the next morning. Scratched Sam's name in the dirt. What's that? It scratched Sam's name in the dirt? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and, and placed some rocks at the corners. Kind I of sound like Art Bill. Wow. Watch activity, wow. you might say. You'll hear that from contactees, from uh, Bigfoot contactees. Um, and it was, and I so I asked, where was it in the window? And he goes, the lower left-hand corner. And I said, well, that's <laughs> where this thing had its face in the window that my sister took a picture of. And that would have happened before his experience. Right. And... But then he has an experience like that, and then he later finds the image that I was recorded in 73, or prior to his, and then I was just speculating with him, maybe this was some, you know, it's an obvious synchronicity, and maybe it's uh, influenced him to, you know, do this project in some way, and, and it's sort of like uh, a stamp of approval in my mind. Yeah, like he's uh, you know been moth certified that uh, <laughs> he will. Uh, yeah, you know I I think it's going to go on to do great things. I think he's sort of been blessed in a way by this, and and it's going to do really well. And uh, you know, there's yes. another part of that story that was interesting was the glowing thing that he saw was something that I used to dream about when I was a kid that there were these glowing uh, beings out there outside the window. And uh, the other interesting part is that I recently found out that, that the guy who was standing in the room when that photo was taken, who lived in the, quote, Mothman house, he had been uh, touched by the creature, <laughs> but he didn't tell anybody because he yeah, was well, afraid why of would being you? laughed at. And I saw my this thing coming out of the of uh, a tree at that very spot that same probably month I, I don't know the dates exactly but it was all around the same time and it just started to seem like and he's the only person who and he lives in Point Pleasant now so he may eventually come out with this and say yeah this you know this you sort of take public uh, responsibility for it or, or whatever it, yeah some people just don't want to talk about it in public, but uh, he was touched by the creature. It's the only person I know of that can say that. And then he was in the room when that picture was taken and ended up influencing Sam, perhaps. So that was my last little 
theory about, or not theory, just that's that's another synchronicity that occurred on the trip, and there were lots of little ones. Yeah, that it, to me was was uh, pretty cool because it happened right at the end. Yeah, I w- it, it's funny when you start hanging around people that are into weird stuff, and you go out and start doing things, and go out and being be in the world and do things and travel to different places. Stuff starts to happen that seem that synchronicities come up, and it's it's and I haven't had that happen in a while. That was another weird thing about this trip was having that with Sam, um, with 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 the band and music is very important to me, and I like this kind of music. And then him just saying out of the blue, I didn't even know he liked that. I like this kind of music. He said, "Oh, you'd be interested. You ought to listen to them." And we arrive at Pappy and Harriet's, and he says, "Guess what? That band's playing here." And I said, "Right, you knew." And he said, "No, I swear I did not know." That Spindrift was playing here, and they're from Joshua Tree too. So yeah, I, I don't think that he knew that um, that we were even going to Pappy and Harriet's. I mean, we kind of just pulled a fast one around him and said, "Yeah, yeah, we're going to go to this this club." So it, it's not like he could have had any control over this at all. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, Adam set it up. But yeah, there's there's a lot of good stuff on this uh, album. I like a lot. Anyway, it feels like August in here. It feels like August in here right now. Yeah, almost not, like not that it's too hot. I don't mean that. It just, just uh, psycho emotionally, whatever you want to call it, it just feels like August in here. <laughs> oh, you know what? When I went in out and spoke to the fifth graders in Beaumont, you know where Beaumont is. Yeah, yeah, into Chicanos too, because it's on the way to where she stays with her um, stays at her parents' house. Mm-hmm. Um, uh. After the the kids all, I was mobbed like a rock star by these fifth graders. <laughs> it was so funny. They all wanted me to sign their hands at one point. So I was signing hands after I signed books. But um, the weird thing is, that at the end, they gave me a, car, a thank you card, and inside was a was a uh, gift certificate for House of Pies. Wow. How do they know? Um, de- the teacher, Deborah, knew probably because um, uh, Walter told her she listens to the show. But it was so funny to see. She goes, oh, here's a card we got for you. And the th- it falls out, a House of Pies card out in Beaumont. So she had to come all the way in town to pick that up. So pie on Greg tonight. Yeah, well, I didn't bring the card, but it is on me, yes. She, she probably, like, ordered it on the phone or something. Or, yeah, I don't know. I have nothing more to do. Yeah, they're out in Beaumont, which is like 90 miles from any house of pies, and they give me a house of pies So were were you being Mysterioso in Beaumont? Is that the purpose of your trip, was to talk about being a... Uh, It was for Weird California, yeah. yeah. You know, Beaumont's a pretty weird place. In what way? Well, it it was where things got started with the whole Willy Boy manhunt. Oh, yeah, that's right. You told me about Willy Boy. Yeah, it ended up culminating in Pipes Canyon, uh, you know, sort of in the Giant Rock area. So it's just kind of strange that that that's where it all got started. And they've got a very creepy little cemetery around there. I should have gone to that because I was very early. All I did was wash my car. But, uh, yeah, next time in Beaumont. What's creepy about the cemetery? Uh, it, it's just real. Um, it's got a real do-it-yourself kind of feel to it. Excellent. Um, and <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, you would think that there really wouldn't be class divisions uh, between life and death, but the, it, no, in Beaumont there are. There's there's very definitely the nice section of the cemetery and the ghetto section of the cemetery. I'd like to see it. 
Yeah. It's it's pretty cool. It's Did you ever notice in Burbank when you take off from the airport when the wind's blowing from the south, you take off right over a cemetery, like right over the top of it? Yeah, I, I keep and driving past it and thinking I should go in here sometime. You should. Gorgeous George the Wrestler is buried there. Oh, no way. Stan Laurel, I believe, is buried there. A bunch of people from the Skunk Works are buried in this big thing called the Portal of the Folded Wings. No. Yeah. Wow. Or they ha- they're either buried there or their ashes are there or whatever. But you can tell because there's like little monuments to Amelia Earhart and all this. Because uh, Burbank is a very heavily aviation-influenced area. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's they, yeah. the Skunk Works was. In fact, I work in the building next door to the Skunk Works where they used to be. And the, you can see the whole building was metal because they didn't want um, – an engineer told me this that I work with. He said the whole building was metal because they didn't want anybody to be able to listen to radio waves coming out of the building. Mm. Huh? They did not want them to be able to use Tempest technology, which picks up your, uh, can, yeah, can actually pick up voice vibration off of windows and stuff. Right, but, right, okay. yeah. yeah, so the whole building was made with metal. It was just a solid metal building, kind of brushed metal. Um, and now, now Kaiser is there, and they've cut out windows so you can actually see inside. They also had their own power supply so that when they ran tests... They wouldn't the uh, they wouldn't be able to tell that the power drain from the grid from the skunk works would not be detectable because they had capacitors and generators that would act would actually attenuate that power drain. Um, so it's a weird place. However, at the portal of the folded folded wings, there's actually these there's a every time the guy that buried there from the skunk works has a little skunk on his little marker, the skunk works skunk. That's that's. A whole level of dedication right there. Disneyfication, I might. Yes. Maybe, yeah, in a way. The other person that's buried there, who everybody will know, is Criswell. I, I wonder <laughs> if you saw that coming. <laughs> <laughs> He's not in the portal of the folded wings. He has a little tiny cri- uh, thing where his ashes are that's like that big in a wall, like maybe a foot wide by like four or five inches high. So it says Criswell like predicts Jaron King Criswell and the dates. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he did. He he didn't really have a whole hell of a lot of money. Uh, Mae West used to give him a Cadillac every year for a dollar, but that's because she could. They were buddies. That's that's pretty awesome too. Yeah, she used to she used to cook food for me. He, she he'd go to her apartment at the top of the um, oh what's the name of that apartment building? It's right near me too. It's on uh, Vine actually, south, Vine south of uh, Melrose this huge old apartment building she used to have the entire top floor for like the last 20 30 years of her life and she used to home cook meals for criswell and and they would just sit and crack up get drunk tell jokes and and uh and uh, she'd sell them a cadillac every year and there was a uh, um criswell once predicted that she would be uh, elected president of the united states and they would both go to the moon <laughs> in a rocket i'll bet that was a two cadillac year <laughs> yeah the funny thing is if you look around online Somebody wrote a science fiction story about it, and there's, it was a cover of a science fiction magazine. It's called, like, I can't remember, some little tiny sci-fi magazine from the 50s, I think. And all it says is, Mae West, Criswell, Moon Trip. And there's a picture of both of them with space helmets on, on the moon. You, I, I, when I discovered this, my head almost exploded. So, of I, course, I have a huge print of it on my refrigerator I, now. I, I think my head <laughs> is going to explode. That, can you imagine going to parties there? I mean, Mae West is Criswell's fag hag. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's just... It was amazing. The, the stuff you find out about Southern California, and that's the other thing, part of the movie 
they were here on um, during the week um, talking with Skylar, uh, Alphagrin, and um, God, who else did they visit? I can't remember the guy's name. A few different other people about like the weird history of L.A. and Southern California, not just all the weird giant rock and stuff we were into, but kind of the more you know uh, Hollywood thing and the Manson thing and all the weirdness surrounding Hollywood. And a lot of that is in that Hollywood cemetery, and we did a couple scenes there, too. Um, I think uh, Jane Mansfield has a marker there. Um, Virginia Rapp is buried there. Uh, wow. the Fatty Arbuckle, Virginia Rapp. Yeah. Yeah. Herbert von Karman, who was one of the co-founders of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, along with Jack Parsons, is buried there. So it's uh, there's all these weird skeins of coincidence um, crossing each other here when you start looking into things. I'm sure Jane knows that because she's a great historian. Yeah, but I mean, I didn't know about Criswell and Mae West. You know, you can always learn something. And <laughs> no matter where you are, it's weird. Even if you're in Beaumont, California, still weird. Let me see if I can find it. Uh oh. Criswell, Mae West, Moon Trip. Oh, I don't know. Images. Oh, there it is. <laughs> it's a picture of Mae West uh, holding a flashlight and Criswell, and they're both in um, what people thought um, spacesuits were in the 1950s with bubble helmets, and they're on the moon, and Criswell's waving at you. It's, it's just phenomenal. And Mae West is a, is is it's it's uh, accurate to the time because she has white hair and she's looking not looking too good. Yeah, she still has a great rap though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if anybody's listening now, they can look up Criswell Mae West Moon Trip under images and it'll come up. She's she's going to conquer the Martians. Yeah, or at least the moon anyway. But that was his prediction, just to be. Uh, and uh, I've actually got a song called Criswell Predicts that Mae West wrote and recorded. <laughs> wow! Don't, can I find it? I don't know. Well, I, I think that that's uh, definitely needs to be on everybody's iPod. It's somewhere on mine. When I found it, it was just like I said, another one of those jaw-dropping moments. This all took place in California, by the way, which is a wonderful place. And uh, um, look what's happening to us. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I I wanted to move out of um, California until. I got the assignment to write uh, Weird California, and I realized I didn't want to leave. It, it was a weird thing. Where is it? I'm sh- I thought I had Criswell Predicts on here by Mae West. I guess not. Well, I've got it up on my website. What time is it? Is it? it is 9.13. Um, I hope that uh, Adam Go Rightly and or Nick Redfern are not trying to call because I still have... I, I, they're... I don't know if they're going to call my cell phone or the, the studio line. Um, Andy, are you still there? Yes. Oh, um, is there something else you wanted to say, or uh, can you give up the line to, uh, in, in, in case Nick or and or Adam call in? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, when can you come back on the show? When, when, uh, anytime? Are you coming back to L.A. sometime soon? Yes. January. Uh, probably... 
Will you be here over a weekend in January? Yeah, yeah, might be, yeah, it would be probably the ninth. So. Okay, well then you'll be on the show. There's no question. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thanks. thanks. For me. Huh? Thanks for having me. Sure, anytime, and uh, we'll we'll see you and talk to you in uh, about three weeks, I guess. Okay, thanks. All right, see ya. Of what? Oh, I should have asked him that. I, I think he is, actually. Do you know? Does anybody know if he's a... Read uh, start with Keel and then just jump right into Andy's books and and uh, anyone else who did anything about it. But it is um, it's cool stuff. But that's um, what Indrid Cold says to Richard Gere's character in the movie a couple of times. I will see you in time, which is kind of um, having spent some time back there myself in childhood. Two times growing up around the Mothman lore. I had an appreciation for that film. There were certain aspects of it that they captured well. And um, it was really cool when I met Andy for the first time because I had no idea there was anyone writing so extensively on Mothman now. And I was like, ah, great discovery. This is cool. When Greg uh, turned me on to his stuff and then I got to actually talk with him. And, oh, cool, because Indrid Cold was, you know, kind of a boogeyman of uh, that I was familiar with growing up with, but not too many people I had met really uh, nerd about him so yeah well it's, it's a um, it's a specialized subject but a lot of stuff is specialized I mean we wouldn't be sitting here yakking with each other oh there's my phone talking about it uh, I think that's actually uh, maybe that's Nick just a minute Uh, I'm going. Uh, Adam is on the line. He's what he's going to do here now is repeat everything I say. So just a minute, let me get him uh, mic'd up. Yes. <laughs> so oh, sorry. I was just going to say last time we missed it entirely, and this time this week we haven't heard the siren yet. You want me to call the local fire department and yes. have them? Yes. It's not a uh, actual show until the fire department calls up. Are you there, Adam? Go rightly. Yes. Oh, good. How can, how can I help you? <laughs> you can. Oh, I want Colonel some fries. Colonel Adam wants yes. Jane wants some fries, and I would like a I would like some strawberry ice cream, please. Coming up. <laughs> <laughs> how did you get uh, involved with this ridiculous, wacky uh, film production? Um, through Facebook. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. I can hear what? chatter in the background. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Sam contacted me at some point, and you get a lot of people contacting me. He sent a link to the uh, film he was working on called The New Prophet, and I didn't check it out, you know, and then he. Uh, contacted me later. Hey, did you check that out? And I go, uh, I think he was IMing me, and I said, uh, uh, yeah, I checked it out. So I uh, was checking it out as I was talking to him. It was pretty cool. So he 
had heard my music and asked me to do the soundtrack for that, and I did. Then we got talking over a period of time. He was coming to the States, had this idea for a movie, talking to um, interesting people and all that. And so uh, I kind of facilitated that, and here we are. Why did he want to do such a movie? I, I, I found out, actually, during the course of uh, making the film and talking to him that he had actually listened to these shows and read some of our stuff, yeah. which was kind of amazing considering what most people do when they come out to make a documentary and include Nick or you or or uh, Chica or anybody. They just kind of like, let's get this crazy person's um, spiel and then we will move on, please. Uh, Sam seemed a lot different. That's the amazing part. Yeah, he... He's into all the uh, yeah. He's actually podcast, into it. Podcast the stuff I've done and you done and uh, just the whole scene. So he was well versed in all that, and he's read a lot of the uh, thing, you know, books and stuff that we're into. So he had that background as a young guy. So I thought, you know, hey, why not? Uh, so he. Is this uh, his first documentary? Yes. This uh, the, the director's name is Samuel Sam Fielder, right? F I E L D E R. You are correct, sir. You are correct, sir. Ha ha ha. He um, and he was out here for a couple of weeks. Um, he had a cameraman for a while, and then the cameraman sort of left, and then he started directing it himself and doing the questions and all that. Um, there, there and there isn't really a script or anything. You're basically just seems like you're just uh, trying to get as much out of everybody as you can. All the theories, all the reminiscences, all the th- all the um, the commentary, uh, interactions between people, and then let let that dictate possibly the direction the documentary takes. Am I not correct there? You are correct, sir. I think it started to come together like in the second week. People got more relaxed, you know, and we got. Uh some good stuff got good stuff all the way through but it's like i think he has 30 hours of footage oh wow and so out of that i think we ought to get 90 minutes of some interesting uh something the when i told him when i first started talking to him it's like we're going to get a lot of footage but uh what's going to be the most challenging part is editing it all together and <laughs> and so you know uh that still needs to be done yeah, um, who else did you talk to when you were in L.A.? Because we've been talking about the desert portion, because that's who's yeah. here. But who else did you talk to when you were I tried to get Skylar on, but she was busy. Yeah. Um, let's see, let me take it from the top. We talked to Mr. Bosley there. We filmed outside of Disneyland. We spent basically... Uh, that guy's nuts. <laughs> All I could hear in the background was asshole, so I assume he's <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was uh, one of a friend of Walter's call him an asshole, yeah. <laughs> and so we did the uh, Bosley factor, then we got went out to Devil's Gate with uh, Jane there and uh, 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 Raven Jake Dawes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, let's see, then we went to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery with you and Skyler. Yep. And then I took a day off, and he interviewed the author, John Gilmore, who's um, 
written a book on the Black Dahlia, and he did a famous one on the Manson family, the Garbage People, and he was also oh, yeah. an aspiring Hollywood actor. So interviewed him. Then uh, let's see. Then we interviewed Rich Polly Sorbate in the town of Vernon, and also the Escarpment, and a couple other people who live in that interesting place and that was a pretty wild day then we interviewed uh miss chica there hi chica hi hey paul and and uh who else then andy and uh, nick came in we did some interviews later that night yeah and then i'm track then we went out to the uh nick's calling Hmm. oh okay can he call as i'm talking or uh uh, well, it, either he'll have to call, I'll have to answer this, and you have to call in on the other line, or I'll have to hang up on you and not have you on anymore. And we're not even finished with half of what you want to say, so is it possible yeah. for you to call in the studio line, the 213-252-0998? Have, have Nick call in 10 or 15 when I'm done, so. Oh, okay. Where was I at? Then we uh, no did, went out to the desert and did all that stuff. There was a lot of... Uh, Oh, we did the uh, campfire thing. It was pretty interesting talking to uh, Barb Harris. She had a lot of background on Van Tassel and uh, Frank uh, Kreitzer, or Kreitzer, whatever his name was. So that, mm-hmm. that was pretty interesting. We did some more uh, stuff with Andy and Nick there around the campfire, and uh, Andy used some uh, red light effects with his camera. So I think there was some weird stuff. Unfortunately, we didn't... Uh, film the dickhead uh, campground host dude who tried to uh, run us out of the joint then uh, where are we at then we uh, did uh, the Salvation Mountain I think that will come out pretty good to stall the landscapes of uh, Salvation Mountain and Salton Sea and kind of little side conversations Sam interviewed Leonard Knight oh okay and then uh, the next day at in the Integratron, we interviewed uh, Bob Benson about his background with Van Tassel, and also a gal who works there at the Integratron. She knew Van Tassel. And so that was, what else happened? Uh, then, oh, that evening we interviewed you and Robert Larson. That came out really good, uh, the interview we did with you guys. And then we went to uh, Graham, the Graham Parsons uh, room the next morning. Yeah. Did more there. That was pretty productive. And then that was it. Then we went to Santa Cruz, and it got uh, progressively weirder from there. We interviewed <laughs> Jeff Turner, the guy who uh, contends that Tuesday World was Illuminati High Priestess. And he actually yeah. has one of those bicycle helmets you were talking about. That oh, wow. in the catalog there. And he uses that as a psychotronic uh, device, but that's another story then. <laughs> We went to the Bigfoot Museum in Felton. That was a real good interview with that uh, guy, Michael Rugg. Mm -hmm. Rugg? And then we went to Fresno and uh, my buddy Joe, and we went to the place where we saw UFOs and recounted our experiences. And there you have it in a nutshell. Thank you. Good night. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What was the... uh... I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's all right. Uh, what was the uh, what's the purpose of doing this film? Uh, why did is it was it Sam's idea or yours or both or? Why are you asking me these questions? <laughs> because they're normal uh, interviewer type questions. What do you want me to ask you? 
What was uh, the goat doing in your room? What do you want me to ask? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I thought it would be a good... You know, part of it, when he was going, he was talking about different... How do you know all these people and stuff? And so, well, like, if you live long enough, you meet a few people. And it's like, he was interested in the whole group of us, and he thought it would be just kind of a good snapshot of a period of time. And also in Southern California, it's like a lot of this stuff, you don't know how long these things are going to last, how long the Integratron is going to be there, uh, whatever, the Bigfoot Museum in Felton, uh, uh, Salvation Mountain. So I think it's important just to document all this stuff. How's that for an answer? That's an excellent answer because I was, you know, I've kind of thought the same thing. And, you know, what, what are they going to do about it? Duh. But uh, you've actually taken an, an, a, a proactive approach and had uh, Sam come out here and do that. Um, how are you going to market this? I mean, who's who wants to see this film? I don't. I, don't, I think Besides a lot us. of people. I think people would be interested, but uh, I have no idea. How, he uh, originally said that he might have some uh, contacts with Australian television. And apparently, in Australia, it's like Canada. They the state matches. Uh, oh, okay. Money in, so that might be a possibility. He wants to enter it into film festivals. So uh-huh. I, I don't know. I'm not too worried about, uh, like, maybe I should be. Well, you shouldn't be worried about too much about that part of it. I think about it in the way that um, I used to do Excluded Middle. As soon as I had enough advertising revenue, I stopped, <laughs> you know, to pay for the issue. I stopped caring about any advertising because I hated that part. All I wanted to do was meet people, learn stuff, and do the magazine and write. And um, as soon as the, you know, the, the earthly stuff was... Uh, supplied for that, I would just go on with the creative part. Um, yeah, when the blood sacrifice was gone. Probably I should uh, care, though, and put some effort into it. It gets... I'm not... Uh, I'm into the creative. End yeah, of we it. all are. And stuff. It's like uh, there's only so much energy, and I'm ready to move on to working on a book I just started about Kerry uh, Thornley and the uh, JFK assassination. Oh, excellent. I, we don't need to talk about that, though. No, we don't. <laughs> In fact, it's probably best if we don't. I, for I want you. To thank everybody for helping out. Jane and uh, Chica and you and Walter and uh, Andy and uh, anybody else who may be listening. There's a whole. There was a bunch of people who's probably interviewed. Uh, I don't know, at least twenty or twenty-five Whoa. people. I didn't know it was that many. Yeah, there was a lot of, uh, like, at the escarpment, there was some people who oh, were yeah. there. And then when we were out in the desert, those kind of added up. So I'd say at least 20 people. I Well, I can't wait to see it in, what, a year or something when it's finally done? I would think to do it right, you would, it would take a year. Yeah, at least. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and the other thing was, and which I told you when I left, is... Um, I must be going through menopause or something because I've been extremely... <laughs> even before the the sleep thing I was telling Chica about earlier in the car, I lost so much sleep when I was helping uh, helping out or just hanging out. I actually didn't really help out. Um, that I had emotional weird seesaws for like four or five days after it was all over until I got oh, two really? solid nights yeah. of sleep and then I was okay or reasonably okay. Um, but the thing was that I felt like crap for like months and suddenly... 
all these people and all my friends were all together in this place that I loved, and I it like it took my psychological um, seesaw and just slammed it all the way back into positive, and it's 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 still there, and um, that I should thank you for, and everybody that was in the film and everybody I hung out with. I mean, it's just I feel like I was I was saved. Yeah, I was saved. Yeah, <laughs> you were what? I was saved too. <laughs> We's uh, all saved. You got saved in the Bombay Beach bar. <laughs> yes. Oh, the That's Bombay. Where I Be- saw a unicorn sparkle pony uh, <laughs> <laughs> sitting at the bar. You mean? Uh, yeah, I was just talking about pit bulls and sacrifice. That and woman was kind of some I don't guy know. in the parking lot who pissed her off, and rap music's too loud, and. Yeah, yeah, Andy said apparently I did a peacemaker move with her, and I don't even remember doing it. It's because you were in the zone. You were like Obi-Wan or Yoda <laughs> or something. You just you don't like... need to worry about the rap music. <laughs> exactly. You're talking about animal mutilation? Yeah, she was, actually. Yeah. What'd you say, Paul? I mean... <laughs> you did a peacemaker move? Yeah, well, Andy said I guess the, the, the uh, tweaker or whatever woman there at the bar was yelling and screaming about something, and I... Oh, it was it was the Natalie Portman rap video. I think that that was yeah. it. But you you just kind of went and she just shut up and then she like <laughs> turned around and was like back to to talking to the drunk next to her and it was like wow <laughs> diffuse that bomb. I, I don't remember really. I remember her getting mad and I remember me saying something like we're laughing at the video. We're not trying to piss people off by enjoying it. And she went, oh, and went back to whatever she was yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know too many big where words. I live, we have a little bar, and it's like, I don't even bat an eyebrow, and somebody starts ranting like that. It's just like another night in the <laughs> at the local uh, tavern. Yeah, well, this, we're coming from an urban environment, people are expected not to be too insane, except at certain times when it gets very late and the uh, cops have to be called and people need some excitement. Yeah, you don't. But I guess that, you know when you're out in the middle of nowhere, it's kind of normal, actually. So we it's drink a, for entertainment. <laughs> and it was the ski in, which I thought was so funny. I guess that means water skiing. Um, and the. Robert Le- Robert Larson lent me a copy of Pleasures and um, Plagues at the Salton Sea, and I watched it last night, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and they're, they they yeah. talk about the ski bar, or you ski know, inn. You know, it's unfortunate for uh, the people that hadn't been out to Bombay Beach before the whole... Yeah, they cleaned it up. Landscape has changed, man. It was uh, That's why I was, we were talking when we were there. No more yeah, white trash Lemuria. Years ago, calling it uh, white trash Lemuria. Yeah, I I think it's still copyright. Adam, go rightly. It was. Uh, he had all these. Uh, well, the area got flooded at one time, and out where we were kind of out on the beach there, he had all these uh, trailers, and when it got flooded, they all went uh, to ruin. So, and you you can look on the web and find uh, photos of Bombay Beach. It was just more of a surreal scene. Uh, yeah, somebody. Ago. It still is a strange yeah, place. Some, some idiot decided to clean it up, apparently. What the yeah, hell's the matter with people? They fucked up, man. <laughs> they <laughs> the whole hey, place up. They I'll just don't know here. what's is good. Is there any uh, closing uh, thing? Uh, I, uh, yeah, I don't have anything else, but. Uh. Well, my closing thing was thank you for so- restoring my sanity and saving me. Oh, I, I know what I was going to say. Yeah. T- it takes uh, just to uh, 
get everybody together, you know, it takes like uh, the energy to do that. And the, the movie helped uh, do that. That doesn't mean uh, we can't do this again and somebody else can organize something. Yeah, Road was, trip. Yeah. Because Skylar said she couldn't make it. And I said, okay, well, then we got to do it again. Yeah. So, yeah, it was very much like to do that. And um, I don't even know if we'd go to the same place or what, but it oh, seems like a good destination. Someplace des- else. There's all kinds of. Yeah. Uh, it seems like the cookout has morphed into something different now. Mm hmm. Uh, and is more inclusive. Yeah. <laughs> well, we didn't, like you said, we, there wasn't. Uh, any women involved in the scene back in the day? Uh, paranoia, you know. Well, yeah, the lone exception. Jones paranoia involved, but uh, you know. Uh, so yeah, let's do it again. Yeah. We're gonna uh, have a girl party next time. Yeah, Chica said it was a penis festival. Bukaki. What was it? It was Bigfoot Bukaki. <laughs> That's right. No, Sasquatch Bukaki. <laughs> I, yeah, wow. I Give humanity a chance, <laughs> We Chica. weren't excluding anybody, but uh, it was a, yeah, it ended up a bunch of guys. Well, there yeah, was a picture of all there. of us, and there were orbs <laughs> all over the picture, and um, somebody said something about, what was it? I, I called that. The orbs, I called that Sasquatch Bukaki. Yeah, and uh, and and I said something like ectoplasm, ew. Because <laughs> Andy had some other thing that he said before that about all the orbs being in the picture. I had a few in mind, and I, I photoshopped them out. Maybe I shouldn't have. Uh, the picture of us at Giant Rock. The, 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 uh, the penis fest at Giant Rock. <laughs> I think that should be the uh, subtitle of the film whenever the t- film turns <laughs> Yeah, How it to is be. a bit bizarre to have a uh, sword fight at China. <laughs> oh, just a bunch of guys together. Most people think, yeah, there are a bunch of uh, something screwies going on here. <laughs> well, it's true. Something screwy was going on. Yeah. Well, let me get off and Nick can call and somebody else. And... Okay, yeah, I just sent Nick a... Uh, maybe I'll give him a call so that... Uh, maybe he's still up. I don't know. He's such a workman. Um, he's got tomorrow's book to he's, he's working he's... on his journal. Yes, and he's yeah. Uh, uh, Walter said he's got Monday's book to write. <laughs> he even I, he gave me a, very nicely. He brought along extra copies of um, uh, what are the latest two? Uh, it, well, the uh, final events. Final events. Yeah, and the NASA conspiracy thing. And one of me wrote, the, "What did he say? The new product from the book factory, best Nick." <laughs> oh, that that photo was great. Yeah, I thought uh, the. Uh, Nick in front of that uh, little uh, whatever the hell it was that said suck my balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know who I think maybe Jane or somebody saw that first and was taking a picture of him so I just ran right up in front of Nick and and Jane had the perfect line that's the Christmas card this year. Yeah, that is. <laughs> suck my Christmas next, balls. Uh, <laughs> photo. Yeah. He was a good sport. Either that or the that. apocalyptic photo from the giant rock. That's a good one too, and I'm also rather fond of uh, the well, the the series there where you've got kind of the the you know yeah that you shall not pass pose and and uh, and well Nick's got his hood up and he looks like he's about ready to go in for the satanic ritual. He's doing the levee. It's yeah. yeah. Hey, I'm I'm gonna go because okay. I can only hear you, Greg, and the rest is like. Uh, Gobbledy gargle. Yeah, muffled stuff. So, anyway, 
It was real. It was very real. Thanks, thanks so much, Adam. Bye, bye, guys. All right. I think maybe I better call Nick. He probably called and said, "Well, they're not go- they're excluding me, so I'm going to go to sleep so I can write this book tomorrow." Mm. <laughs> You're not the excluded middle. <laughs> we are we are ringing uh, Nick Whoa, that's loud. Nick Redfin. What? Hello? Oh, sorry. Uh Nick, uh when you called um uh, Adam Gorightly was on, but uh, I hope we're not bothering you too late. We called you as soon as he rang off. I sent you an email saying just uh, call the studio line, but that's okay. No, I did call the studio. We, we were just permanently engaged. We were permanently busy. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Have you had any problems with anybody else getting through to it? Or? Well, I don't know what it is. It might be because the off-hook button was on, which I almost never use. Oh, Okay. Um, we're keeping Nick up past his bedtime over there in Texas. We were saying that you were probably going to sleep because you had uh, uh, Walter said you had Monday's book to write. <laughs> <laughs> no, I always stay. I always stay pretty late, so sort of twelve or one. Oh, really? Okay, okay. Then you you s- sort of keep writers' hours. Well, what I do, I, I try. I usually try and write. I usually start in the morning about seven and go on to about five, and then. Because Dana finishes work at five, then we just kind of both switch off. But not because we go to bed early, we just switch off from all the the shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> Nick was out there in I'm the like desert. Interview or whatever. So. Yeah, Nick was out there in the desert. Is that the second time you've been out to the Integratron and all those places? Yeah, the first time was um, for the for the retro conference. What was it? Roughly three years ago. Something yeah, like something that, like that. The funny thing is I still had pictures from the retro conference on my camera. Oh, wow. <laughs> Didn't I show you those when we were out there? I was like, look, here's a picture of you and Brittany standing at, <laughs> standing at Pappy and Harriet's. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but you hadn't been that's... to Salvation Mountain before. No, no, no. That, that was the first time I've been there. And, and um... Salt and Sea. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I mean, it was sort of cool to see the, those places. You know, I'd heard about them, uh, never been there, and I guess you know when you get the chance, it's always good to do it. So. Yeah, because you came out just. Uh, um, Adam flew you out to be in the documentary, which I thought was um, wonderful and unusual because I thought it was supposed to be basically about California stuff. But you have the connection because of the contactees book. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I was happy to do this when uh, when Adam told me the whole premise of it because I think, you know, one of the things I always like is when there are people in the field who I know are making the films because then they have a good premise of what it's about, they have editorial control, and they're not going to shaft you by, you know, chopping and changing it to make you say something you didn't say. So I'm always happy when friends are the ones who are making the documentaries. Yeah, and obviously Sam is into it because he, he was telling me stuff about the... He he like referred to Chica being on the show, and he'd heard that. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, then he actually listens to it. I mean, then he referred to something she actually said. So mm-hmm. I, at oh, that yeah. point, I felt a little bit better about talking to him. Yeah, that, that's a good thing. You know, it's like there's nothing worse than sometimes, you know, I do a lot of TV, and you get people, you, you get found up by some researcher who's like, who knows nothing. You know, and they want you to give them all the answers and whatever, and then oh, we'll be in touch. You, you know, never, you hear, never hear anything again. Yeah. Or if you do, you know, you just your words are spliced and chopped to pieces or, when the or yeah, or worse, like that's exactly. curse, yeah. where they make you look like an absolute lunatic. Yeah. Yeah, and the problem is, you know, editorially, 
right. sort of three months down the line, you just you don't know what they're going to do with it. And of course, when you see the finished thing, you know it's, it's kind of like, what can you do? At least in this situation, you know they're always happy to do things like this with with Sam and Adam because you know that they're into it as well, and and, and they're going to put a good production together. So. Yeah, you would hope so. Um, see, I've been, I've been sitting, I've been sitting here hogging everything. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let um, everybody else in the studio interview Nick. <laughs> Under the spotlight. <laughs> you think of something you want to ask Nick, or, or talk about what happened this last weekend, which was uh, magical. Which was I'm sorry, but you have to hold the phone up to the mic. Yeah, you have to hold the phone up to the microphone. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. But you can talk on it too. You notice how I was holding it like this and then talking into it. And so, so go ahead, Nick. Take take it away. <laughs> That's <laughs> not a question. About the weekend. Well, what? I think, you know, I mean, it was a, it was a great time. I think you know, aside from the fact that you get to see old, I'm well, not old. I won't say old. <laughs> familiar faces. What? And hang out with friends. You know, that's that's always a good that's always a good thing and a plus. Um, and I think also, you know, we, we got a lot of. I got a lot of good research, done a lot of insight into certain cases and places and historical things and, you know, trying to put things in perspective as to what lies at the heart of the UFO mystery. And I think any sort of documentary that can capture those elements and hopefully successfully, you know, is going to have something to say. Uh, that's That was one of the other reasons I was happy to do it, because there's nothing worse than seeing, like, another tired old documentary on Roswell with the same old faces talking about the same old thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, why just keep going over old ground? At least here we were looking into some very alternative areas. And I think that makes a, I would hope, for, and, for the re, and for the viewers as well, you know, it makes, like, a refreshing change to, to see something like that. And also I felt like there was this generational thing where... I was a big fan of uh, all these people like uh, Jim Brandon and Valet and Keel and mm-hmm. Alan Hynek and and uh, Bigfoot research. You know, uh, uh, um, oh, who's the guy um, that wrote the uh, Bigfoot books in the 1950s? Uh, Ivan Sanderson. Ivan Sanderson. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, people like that. And then you had uh, you know Bud Hopkins and and uh, Streber and people like that. And then all of us who. Would um, we we consume that uh, uh, material and then we our own spin on it? Luckily, is getting stuck in this film with hopefully not too much of a uh, a uh, what do you want to call it a filmmaker spin on it or, or at least an outsider spin on it. This is this is what we were thinking. This is who we were and this is what we thought at this particular point in time. And um, that th- that's real valuable to me. Um, to see everybody I know and people I respect in that context. And um, I've thought about this during the week, and it, it makes me feel better even more so than uh, than I did last week. The other weird thing is the day after, when you guys were there on Monday, did you realize that I, I was probably about 10,000 feet above you flying back from Arizona while you were leaving? I came back on a plane. I flew out to Arizona and back, and you guys were still in Yucca Valley. And I flew over you. I was like, I wonder if they're there. I went right over 29 Palms and Joshua Tree and all that. Yeah, I remember because... Did, did you um, spit out the window? Remember, um, yes. You're when we were, I peed. When we were driving back to L.A., but there was a truck on fire on the highway, and you actually saw it, didn't you? Yeah, we flew over. It's like, wow, that's, that's a big right. fire. It's right next to the road. And then you came back, and you and Andy said there was this big truck on fire. I saw that from, like, 9,000 feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Really weird. Um, we also saw a strange facility out in the desert, which is not on any maps, is not on Google Earth that I can see, but I took a picture of it. It looks like a... F- I got to show it to Walter. It looks like... Oh, it looks like a... a um, uh, runway, but it's not. It's kind of it's asphalt, concrete at both ends. It gets it's like hourglass shape, kind of. It's not really hourglass. It gets it's thi- it's like it's a spindle shape. It gets it's thin, thicker in the middle, and then thin at the other end. It has a big array at one end of it. We saw this from like eight thousand feet. We're like, what the hell is that? It, was. it wasn't an airport. It was. It was what? Area fifty-two. Yes. <laughs> well, there's plant forty-two. <laughs> Walter, you said you looked like you knew what it was for a second. Oh, and you photographed it, they're going to be knocking on your door any day, Mr. Bishop. Uh-huh. Yeah. But everybody flies over that goddamn thing. It's right in the middle of the, the air lane going out that way. You could see everybody, everybody that's flying. Radio yeah, well, now they're going to come to my Wait, door. Is it in needles? Like needles? No, no. It's like um, it's in between. Oh, shit. It's like north of the 40. You know the 40 that goes from, like, uh, um, Barstow out to Laughlin? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, like, about a third of the way down the 40 and about probably about 10 or 15 miles north of it. Hardly any roads, if any, leading to it. Yeah. And it wasn't an airport. It was a very strange-looking thing. It was very large. Uh, I, 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 there is an interesting thing out there that um, Sachery and I kind of located through his work. And um, what's interesting is it's out in the direction of um, uh, on the 15 heading north that way before you get to Barstow after Victorville. Well, it might be more like and that. It, and I it might be and th- because there's a huge array of towers on a mountain, and then there's uh, and that's associated with what we found. And but it might be. Uh, wow. Well, you know what? We need to go explore this because this okay. is sounding familiar with something my dad told me before he died. Okay. Um, Secret. Secret stuff. You just said something I was going to ask you about. Needles. Needles. Um, is it, I, I wonder if that. I wonder if it's associated with that thing. Are you familiar with if apparently you drive eleven miles north north west, east west. Of needles. Eleven more miles northeast of Needles is an army uh, test area, and if you park your car there and sit there for too long, they come out and ask you what the hell you're doing. Walter and I were going to go out there and sit there and see how long it took them to come out and ask us what the hell we were doing there. Um, is, is that kind of near the petroglyph site that's out there? No. This is out near Needles, uh, border between California and Arizona. Okay. The petroglyph site, you mean COSO on the... Uh, on no, the no, no. There's, there's another petroglyph site, which is actually pretty unusual. It's out by Needles, and it's, it's kind of like California's Nazca lines. There's oh, you mean, you mean um, the Blythe and Taglios? Yeah. Yes, I've flown over those. They are they are quite interesting. Yeah, they're, they're, in fact, I called it American Nazca when I pu- mm. published pictures of it that I had taken. Um, and Nick is still sitting there, and we're keeping him up. No, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. You're not keeping me if I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> Walter said you wrote a book while we while we weren't talking to you. Well, that's a book. That's a book. <laughs> Okay, I, I, how do you get so many damn books written, Nick? I mean, it's just, it's like... That's all I do. I sit in front of the computer 7 till 5, Monday to Friday, and write. Yeah, that's what I tell <laughs> people, I actually. You know, it's like when I finish school, but like, well, I'm looking for a job. There's, there's nothing yeah. else I can do, you know. I'm, yeah. I, I can't do anything else, so that's what I do. <laughs> 
And I guess, you know, when you're sort of working from home and you're self-employed, then you just pound the pages out. And, yeah. yeah. So. It's a blessing and a curse. Um, the... Um, I read this uh, autobiography of uh, Jack London, and he said he would get up and he he said, "I have to get ten thousand words out before I do before I go to lunch, or bef- mm. before it was five thousand before the lunch." I don't and sort then of do it like that. I mean, I don't sort of have this like an obsessive compulsive thing where I've got to get this many words done. Well, that's how he treated it as a job. Seven to five, and then Dana finishes work at five as well, and then we just hang out till midnight, whatever, doing our own thing, but. Away from the computers, you know, just try and yeah. get out of the pods here, band, whatever, you know. But um, but no, I, I mean, I I, prefer, I know a lot of writers, you know, like to work through the nights. Um, a lot of people, you know, in in other areas of artist, you know, oh, filmmaking, whatever. For me, I, I just prefer I to sort works, of yeah. get up and start, and then you know, turn the computer off wherever I am. At, yeah, whatever time. So. Well, what it shows is um, time management, actually, I think. Mm. Well, There's yeah, so many ways think, to waste time. You know, it is one of those things where you can be in a position, if you're you know, a writer or whatever, you think, well, I've got all this time and you know, I'll take a break or I'll start, I'll sleep until noon or whatever. But if you do, you soon find, you know, you, you get behind, you, you know, you, you lose your deadlines, you I always try and stay on top of things and, you know, always pitching stories and things like that. So. Yeah, well, the, the, what I do joke about it with people, and then they say, well, what do I do? I said, well, Nick treats it like a job because mm-hmm. it is his job. Well, it is a job in the sense that, you know, it, it's a job. But I wouldn't want people to think it's a job where I just do it as a job. You know, I'm passionate about it. And I, yeah. think, I think in any job, if you can, you should be passionate about your job, whether it's a nine-to-five job or... Right, exactly. You know, whatever it is. So I wouldn't want people to think, you know, I just treat it as, oh, God, you know, it's this thing I have to do every day. So. Oh, no, no. I, 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 it's, I'm at pains to explain that to people, too, because it's, it's – when I was doing the magazine, it was just like I was possessed. In mm. fact, that's all I could think of from when I woke up to when I went to sleep, whenever that would be. And it had nothing to do with having a job or making it my work or anything like that. It was just what I had to do. And yeah. when you, when you're involved in the middle of a project, it's just what you have to do. It's just it just becomes part of you. Oh yeah, yeah you just kind of hunker down and pound it out and whatever. So. Yeah, and it's it's not even you know it's kind of a slog to get through it. But then you're also you're also um, this, the the material is being processed through you, and it's mm-hmm. it, and you're learning it and absorbing it in that way. And it's just mm-hmm. um, I, the, it's the only thing that gives me really any joy is the, the is uh, researching things like that and um, mm-hmm. ha- and being able to get them out there and have other people read it and interact with them about it. I mean, that, yeah, I mean that's when you said once you didn't exactly enjoy the writing process. I hate the writing process most, and I've talked to most writers, and I think including you, that's their least favorite part of it. Uh, I don't mind the writing. I th- where you know, I like to, particularly when you get to that point where you can see something sort of coherent coming together, you know, instead of having 10,000 words of yeah. mush or whatever, you know, it actually, it starts to take shape and you can see that, you know, eventually you can have 20, 30, 40,000 words and, and the book's got some sort of structure to it rather than just, you know, in the beginning where you kind of, you've got plot lines and, yeah. and avenues, but, you know, I like it when it starts to come together, so. Yeah, um, I, I like the quote from, um, oh, who who's the writer? It's, she's an L.A. writer 
famous woman writer. She she said uh, somebody asked her if she liked written. She said, "What's your favorite part? Do you like writing?" And she says, "I like having written." <laughs> Joan Didion said that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Which no, I, I don't feel like that. Really? But also the way I've always written was um, I was commissioned, and I had five weeks, so there wasn't any wasting time or any anything. There was only seventeen hours a day of yeah. getting it done and handing it in. Right. So. It it just becomes yeah it just becomes what you're doing for that period of time. Yeah. It's not like I'm working on this or this is my job or anything. It's just you know that's what's in front of you and you're concentrating on that. And um, well, for most of the job, for yeah. most of the books I wrote, it was, it was like that. Yeah. And when it wasn't, it was a disaster. You know, because I was double shift, you know, bartending or whatever, and that's that's and trying to write a book at the same time. Yeah, it's impossible. No, yeah, well, that's why it takes two years then. Right. Yeah, the only reason that uh, you know Nick can do things so quickly is because that's his job. He's he's made it his job and and configured his life to the point where he can make it his job and make a living off it. Which is you know hats off to him. It's that's such a tough thing to do. Um, yeah, I mean one of the things I would say is you know as you know I do a lot of stuff aside from you know writing books. Right. I mean you know if it was just the books, I'd be you know scraping a living together. But uh, I mean, I do every, I do a lot of freelance, like 14 Times and Paranormal Magazine, a lot of English um, newspapers. I also write for Penthouse. People, not many people know that. Um, well, that's a lot of, real uh, stuff like mm-hmm. that. And you know, it's when you're a writer, you have to go where the work is, and sometimes the writing can be on something you're interested in, and sometimes it can be just something you're hired to do. Yeah. And it's just a gig, you know what I mean? It's just yeah. one of those things. That's the other thing people don't realize about Nick is he doesn't write about weird stuff all the time. No, um, no I mean, I do. Uh, I've done a lot of just mainstream, you know, new stuff. Um, I've done quite a bit of ghost writing. Uh, I did a ghost uh, writer, a woman's book just recently, who um, actually sort of, it's like a rags to riches story. She grew up in Hong Kong in poverty and then um, became a, a very successful realtor and she wanted somebody to ghostwrite um, her story. It's only a small book, but she got hired me for a few months to, to write this book. And, you know, that was nothing to do with the paranormal at all. It was just yeah. how she sort of brought herself out, of, herself out of poverty and, you know, made something of her life. So. Huh. I didn't know you had done that because you, at one point I think you were, when I wasn't working, you were actually trying to help me get writing work, which I think was uh, very nice of you. And uh, one, and it's one of those things where you get, you know, 500 um, feelers go out and maybe one comes back with a hit with a job. Yeah, that's what people often ask me, you know, how, how do you do it full time? Well, the thing is, it's like if you wait for the phone to ring, it's not going to happen. You know, unless you're, unless you're like J.K. Rowling or Stephen King, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, it's just not going to happen. Um, so you know, that's why I'm always pitching stories and I probably spend like an hour a day on the phone just calling people up who I haven't spoken to for a couple of weeks, you know, and then say, hey, are you interested in this? And, you know, it might be the editor of a British newspaper or the editor at 14 Times or whatever, you know, and just pitching stuff and constantly sort of projected a few months in advance, so to speak. Yeah, of course. And then once in a while you get a short little uh, break where you get to go out and do things like hang out in the desert with a bunch of weirdos and be exactly, in a documentary. Part of the fun of it, so. Yeah, yeah. Had, had, had yeah. either of you met met oh. Nick before? Mm-hmm. I was in the retro. Oh, that's right, at the retro conference. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was almost three years ago. I just realized, you know. 
Yeah. It doesn't seem like that long, but yeah. It's it's a very long time. I wish they would have kept doing it, but, you know, what's the audience for that? Yeah. Well, you know, I think if if I'd really, you know, maybe continue the momentum of it, I mean, who knows? I mean, uh, it could be one of these things that would attract a large audience. It's just, or even to make it at least viable, do you know what I mean? Even if it wasn't... You know, yeah, right, but a it, fast profit is at least yeah. the same thing I was saying about the magazine. And still getting the word out, you know. Yeah, that same thing I was saying about the magazine. But the thing about a lot of these things, like any business or the magazine, I notice is that you're putting out, you're losing money for three to five years, and then you start to break even or get a little bit over that. And Barbara Harris, I don't think that's not her main business is putting on the retro conference. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of just something that she really wanted to do. And because of her interest in the history of the area that she was doing, it, it was kind of a labor of love and um, um, labors of love, uh, unless you have very deep pockets, don't last forever. No, nope, that's right. <laughs> but I mean, you know, hats off to them. I mean, I wouldn't want to organize a conference or something like that. I think it'd be a nightmare, you know. I'm yeah. happy to speak at them, but I think the whole idea of, you know, having to arrange hotels and flights and, you know, the, the whole thing, it, it, I mean, it takes, I think a lot of people don't realize how much goes on behind the scenes stress-wise, you know, just to get something like this up and running. Yeah, and and uh, Adam's essentially done it twice because he did it for the film, even though we didn't really have an audience or anything like that. He organized it, got people flown out here, all this other stuff, and then he actually helped with the retro conference, the second one. Yeah, um, getting yeah. people out there and getting people signed and doing the contracts, I guess, and uh, making suggestions and helping with the organization and speaking there. So it, you know, he's uh, he's he's picked up the ball where uh, 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 other people that we know have have gone on to do other things, and I. Uh, that's valuable, and that's great, and that's one of the reasons that uh, we're all sitting here talking right now. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I think there's there's definitely a market for UFO conferences, but I think certainly, to an extent, I think they're becoming polarized where it's becoming less and less conferences per year, and it's sort of remaining the big three or four, like Ryan Woods and the MUFON conference, Ozark conference, and one or two others. Yeah. Um, and many of the others, unfortunately, have sort of fallen by the wayside. Or what they've actually done, which is sort of more interesting and I think logical, is that they've gone from being purely UFO conferences to, you know, sort of a, a catch-all conference. You have somebody on cryptozoology, yeah. somebody on ancient mysteries, somebody on UFOs. And I actually prefer those sorts of conferences because even for me, you know, the idea of sitting through 20 lectures about... That shit you've heard about 800 times. You know, it would drive me insane. You know, I think the idea of having one on, you know, a pyramid lecture or something, and then somebody on the face on Mars, and then UFOs, and then, you know, an historical mystery or whatever, I think that that is a good way to do it. I think that actually holds the audience's attention better, and I think from a conference organizer's perspective, the more areas you cover, the more likely you're, to, you're going to attract a wider audience right. rather you than have just, to get you know, very focusing close to on one issue. It's the same demographic, basically. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a, a website that covers all of these areas, and uh-huh. I, I do notice that uh, I get more clicks, you know, more, more people open the page if it has UFO in the title. Mm-hmm. UFO is still the most popular thing. Yeah. 
But, you know, cryptozoology and the, these other sort of tangential things are definitely part of that narrow cast, if you will. Oh, yeah, I think, I don't, I think you know, we'd all agree that when it comes to sort of 14 stuff, UFOs, I'm sure, well, I know that, you know, the, certainly the most popular. But, if, you know, if you can capture another audience on the back of that, you know, I think that that is the way to do it. I think mm. certainly... I don't think it's not that the audience isn't there anymore. It's just, you know, things have changed with the internet and the immediacy of gathering information for free. You know, a lot of people really do think, why should I bother going along to a conference when, you know, a week after it, the lectures are going to be on YouTube anyway. You <laughs> That's true. Yeah, or doing something like some people are doing, which are charging to have the lectures, um, podca- I mean, um, netcast. Yeah while they're going on, in addition to the live one. And then some people are even suggesting just not even doing that, just having netcast only, where all you have to do is bring a bunch of people or have them cameras where they are and have people pay whatever to see that netcast and then pay for the the, the uh, lectures afterwards as recordings. What, Walter? But but then you miss the part that's really the reason you go to these things, and that's for the after-hours time you get with people. Yeah. And you'll never well, I... get that on YouTube, and, and you'll never yeah. be able to replace that unless you go. No, that's actually a very good point. I was going to bring that up because I know from speaking to a lot of people at conferences, and you know, and I get this as well. One of the most important things is the social side of the events. Yeah. You know, where you all get to hang out and see people you haven't seen for six months or whatever, and just have a good old time at the bar or whatever. So. Yeah. Well, that goes for the people paying to go to the conferences too, and some yeah. of them are set up in in deplorable ways that rip people off, which irritate me. But others seem to be fairly honest and straightforward and try to give people, you know, the Laughlin Conference, I don't really like a lot of the people they have there, but they seem to have a nice, you know, financial structure for people that are paying all their money for that year to go to a conference, you know. Yeah. The, uh, no, the... I, agree. I agree, and I think it is important, you know, that the audience gets something out of it beyond just going for the lectures and then going back to the hotel room. You know, they enjoy hanging out with the speakers and chatting, and, you know, I like to do that as well. I don't I'm not one of these who like wants to, you know, as soon as the conference is over, it's like, leave me alone. I'm, I'm an author or whatever. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I like to sort of hang out and, you know, chat with everybody or whatever. So. You know, um, Greg, and I, Greg and I have talked about this, that uh, Joseph Farrell, his lectures are really fascinating stuff, like his books as well. But I, I've, I've never heard him lecture on anything better than what we've heard just sitting in a motel room after hours at a mm. conference just having a private conversation with Joseph. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and with anybody like that that we know, yeah. um, it, it's you, you just hear the most amazing stuff mm. only if you're there. No, you're right. And I think sometimes, you know, it's... I think often there's like a hesitancy on some people's part to talk about the really weird stuff because, you know, it's sometimes it sounds too far out. You know, I've had sort of weird experiences that I've never mentioned at lectures because then you have to sort of go into the background and the theories as to why A, B or C might have happened, which sort of detracts from what the yeah. organizer may want, you know, in terms of the lecture, et cetera. So. Yeah, I think we, at some point we should organize. I thought a, a while back I want to organize a kind of conference I want to see, but then everybody does that, you know? Mm. Um, and it's just a labor of love, and then, you know, I wanted, I'd want to see you and Chica and, and Adam and people like that, and uh, I don't care about David Sarita. I don't care about Stanton Friedman. I don't care about Linda Moulton Howe, but they sell the tickets. I don't want to see those damn people. I know exactly what they're going to say, and I'm sick of it. So, 
Well, yeah, I think, you know... The, the I don't, you is, know, this is not a knock against the people. I'm just sick of their information because it's gotten nowhere, and I'd, I'd like to hear something new, and those people don't get a chance to speak at conferences so much. Unfortunately, that's what sells the tickets, but, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking in a selfish... Like a circular situation, you know, you get somebody in and you find they, they sell a lot of tickets, and so they give their lecture, and then... You know, well, what are we going to do for next year? You know, we've got to get tickets sold again. Well, let's bring them back and talk about another aspect of their research. But right. the thing, of course, you find that a lot of researchers, even if they speak on different aspects of the UFO phenomenon, you know, they'll broadly fall into the same arena. For example, you know, many people who take the literal approach that alien abductions involve aliens are probably supporters of Roswell. Yeah. You see what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's the whole nuts and bolts thing or none of it at all, shall we say. Yeah, there's there's no middle ground. There's no excluded middle ground there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, you know, does Graham Hancock speak at conferences? I think so, occasionally. But is he going to... Yeah, gonna, he, speak in England a few times. Yeah. Does he speak about his drug stuff? Probably not. I'd like to see him speak about it. Um, you know, why is that such taboo? I mean, it used to, Terrence McKenna used to speak at some conferences, but he wasn't like this big popular draw as much as he, I think he should have been. No, I mean, you're quite right. I mean, it's, for, it's like, for example, the, the closest where I've sort of had a real crossover was when I spoke at last year's MUFON conference on crop circles, and the whole thrust of the lecture was how the human crop circle makers have as many weird experiences in the formations that they've made themselves right. as, you know, purported alien or mm -hmm. alien crop circles. And, you know, I gave pretty much an entire lecture on, you know, the, the whole issue of how some of these uh, crop circle makers feel that, you know, they're actually using, like, ritual magic to, to, to you know, to create sort of a, a paranormal environment within the formation that people experience and... You know, uh, people who go into them, members of the public or whatever, can actually experience something that the that the formation maker has actually instilled in the area, and, and it was it was well received. You know, people really? thought it was interesting. I thought they were going to say, no, no, you know, this is all flying saucer landing marks and pressing the ground yeah. down with the bottom of the spacecraft or whatever. You know, but now they're all quite open to it, and you know, I was happy that for a move on lecture, I was able to do yeah presentation along those lines i didn't even know you'd done that because it, both of us have written about that on 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 uh ufo mystic um and because the first person that told me about that was mark pilkington so uh, saying you know no it's all made by humans he said mm -hmm. that i said i don't know mark is no no it is and i said what about the burn things and the exploded nodes he goes no that's just mistakes like, it's all made by humans and they're all loons yeah <laughs> but then he goes into the whole thing about well I have had some strange experiences and balls of light and all that. And I said, whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> he said, I think I'm causing these things. And mm -hmm. Matthew Williams said the same thing, and I'm sure you talked about this in your lecture. Oh, yeah, I mentioned Matthew a lot. You know, Matthew basically does a lot of ritual magic, and, you know, he and goes in formations or goes <laughs> into the field and basically, you know, tries to, in his own words, sort of put a positive energy and a positive spin on things and creates the formation and... Um, he believes that the fact that, you know, crop is a living entity has something to do with it, that the, you know, it's sort of almost like manipulating or molding the life force of the crop itself. 
Um, and Matthews had like missing time and seen balls of light and all sorts of weird stuff. And you know, again, you know, he feels that the it's almost like when we, in, in Matthews, it's like when we imagine we 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 create life, if you like. You know, it's like somebody starts talking about Bigfoot sightings in one particular area, and then suddenly Bigfoot appears. You know, it's almost like a Tolper type thing where. We, yeah, yeah. we concentrate and think about something so much that we, we kind of give it a life force and an energy of its own, which takes on its own quasi-existence, I guess. I, I, I ask again if my other guests wanted to ask Nick anything. Well, actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because we've been talking about the writing process of all writers, and uh, actually 40 times in the last few issues has kind of been addressing this which is that when you're writing is it really all you or are you channeling something from someplace else where you know you talk about that moment where it all kind of comes together and and you know exactly what the beginning middle and end is all your research is kind of pointing in a different direction than the um, you know the available material on the subject that's out there and uh, and so in 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 the creative process, there is sort of a uh, magical element, if you will, it's kind of a, um, and there is a ritualistic aspect. If you're writing between seven and five every day, you know that's <laughs> that's you know guided meditation or whatever, and uh, you know a lot of it's work and and a lot of it's inspiration, and um, I, I agree, I fully agree. I mean, I've had a few weird, very weird experiences. You know, when you're writing a book and you, you know, you're coming to contact with certain people who can actually help you with particular scenarios in that book. Who, you know, you may not even have mentioned that you're writing the book to anyone. You know, maybe sort of a really good idea. You think, well, I won't, you know, I won't mention this until it's closer to completion. But you cross paths with people who are like, wow, you know, I, this person has a weird angle on you know, a particular story, or they've got some information that's actually relevant to a really obscure case you're working on in the book. And it's like, yeah. it's almost like a form of channeling where, you know, you're working on it and unconsciously you put the feelers out and then it provokes people who have relevant information to enter your life. And I've had that happen a lot. Um, and I think a lot of, you know, writers in this field certainly have as well. So, you know, and, I don't dismiss this sort of thing. I think the more you embrace it, the more it's somehow, and I don't pretend to know why, it's like the more you embrace it, the more you are attracted to it or vice versa. Absolutely. I, I had a, it's like you're accessing a nuosphere or whatever you're, you're mm. accessing. A, There's a good word for it, yeah. yeah. Um, it, I had an intense experience when I was writing about um, the Fatima uh, mystery. Oops. Which was really a, a six-month-long series of UFO. It was a flap over Portugal in 1917, mm. and a lot of it centered around this the central witness who was Lucia. And it just so happened that as I was uh, I was translating this book from Portuguese to English, and the Pope died, and then she died two days later, and then I put the last period on the page of the, of the book, of the translation, and all of a sudden the room got very bright and it's like her life flashed in front of my eyes. It was a completely paranormal, wild experience, completely unexpected, 
you know, where the it was the room got bright and I had like her life flashed in front of my eyes. Yeah. And all her feelings, all her feelings about being the primary witness of. Facts. You open that uh, for the one of the better word the channel of that yeah. experience became available to you because you had performed the ritual of doing this translation. Right. How do you think about it? At least that, uh, that's a model I'm thinking. Right. Of. I must have. I, it was completely not expected. I was not thinking that this was about to happen i put the period on the page and suddenly it was like this bright white light took over the room and i was this feeling came over me and these visions started pouring into my head and these feelings i felt her i felt her point of view in her life and it was, did it make you want to change anything in the book no i just i, I got it i like maybe I, she was standing there I while you were doing this i really understood you know. what i had just been doing uh -huh. maybe intellectually you know it's interesting Strange enough, the, the last person you expect to say such such a thing, Henry Ford said, "When you want to do so, he said, when you start doing something, when you put something out, something out there hears about it and starts giving it back to you. Mm -hmm. Like if you're looking for something, it will something out in the mm -hmm. universe somewhere in the in the, the time streams and luck streams and whatever you want to call them, they notice you and answer you back. And those aren't his exact words, but yeah, Henry Ford of all people said that the 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 the, the horrible Nazi like businessman. Right. But <laughs> that's uh, I think that's what the secret was based. On. I think he's one of the masters of the secret. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's uh, so yeah. Any you pay attention to something and it pays attention back to you. Yeah. I think that's about the more most succinct way mm -hmm. I can put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Walter's talked about that a bit on the on the show, and all of us have experienced that. You get and, and Nick just told us about his. Um, I don't know if I've ever had that. However, oh well, that guy that um, I wasn't really thinking about it or doing anything about it at the time, but the guy at a at an ultralight conference at the Salton Sea walked up to me from, and he lives in New in uh, New Mexico. He used to work for the uh, defense Department of Defense underground. He didn't know I'd written um, Project Beta. But somebody said, you ought to talk to this guy. He's like into that same stuff you are. And he used to be in the... And like my flying instructor, who barely knows about what I write about, um, said, oh, you ought to talk to him. So I went and talked to him. And um, suddenly I'm getting these little cue words that I get from people that used to work in the Department of Defense. Yeah. Just, you know, you, Nick knows what I'm talking about. And Walter knows what I'm talking about. Maybe you do too. You two, too, do, too do as well. Um just the way he said things, the way he expressed himself, and the—it's really hard to describe. And, and Nick knows what I'm talking about, Walter too. Um, how these people who used to be in intelligence and stuff hold these cards close to their chest, and how they will re reveal them to you if you have the right keys to open up what they want to tell you. And that those keys are one, knowing what they're talking about, and two, possibly telling something that they didn't know, and that will help them. They deal, their currency is information. Um, but this guy came up and he told me, yeah, there is a, a base at underground at Dulce. And I said, what? I said, how do you know? He said, well, I used to work underground. And I said, uh, you know, I, what am I going to tell him? I, you know, I'm not going to say you're a liar or how do I look into his background? I have the guy's name and I know where he used to work, but I haven't checked up on it. But he told me certain things about other people and about places that most people don't know about and other things that have been told to me basically by Doty or Bill Moore or a few of the other people I have met, Jerry Miller. And um, we had this weird kind of 
um, oblique conversation about underground bases, and he said, yes, there was something there. Yes, there is an underground network. Yes, I worked in it. Um, and But it, the, the Dulce thing is not existent anymore. It's just uh, it's empty. But there was something there, and we all knew that there was something there, but we nobody I knew had ever been to it because things were so compartmentalized. But I didn't ask to meet the guy. And somebody who didn't know him that well but knew what his job was told me to go talk to him. You know, there's there's no reason to think that there was any causal relationship there except for he thought that I was into weird stuff and to go talk to this guy. But then there was this immediate connection with him. Um, and then there was a short, like, one-year relationship I had with the guy talking about certain things, and then it was dropped. Mm. So, but the thing was, you know, is that an example of stuff just coming to you because you've been thinking about something so much? I think so, maybe. That's just that's just one thing that's happened. Well, it's, it's very definitely a possibility. Uh, you know, another thing that, that Nick had touched on is just because something's fake doesn't mean it isn't real. And... Um, <laughs> And and you were talking specifically about. I, I've crops. been yelling about that recently to various people. Well, it, it, it's something that you fake have to be. Quotes. Well, fake. You're fake, you you're asshole. Fake because <laughs> well, here we are in Southern California, and it's very fake. Okay, yeah. there shouldn't be a city here at all. No, I meant your yeah. definition of fake, you asshole. When somebody comes up, that's fake. That's, like, do you even know what you're talking about? I, are you saying that it's imaginary? Clearly, it exists. You know, so so what is it? And uh, and even things that do exist in a subjective or um, imaginary realm are, are still real, just by dint of the fact that you've imagined it, and therefore it exists. And uh, so, when you're talking about the crop circles, even if they do have a human-based origin, that does not mean or preclude that there could be other things happening. You know, getting a group working together in synchronicity just builds a, a certain um, emotional context that anybody that's ever been yeah. in a mega church can understand. You know, it's... Uh, wow, you veered almost into this hippie thing and came right back away from it. No, I don't believe in anything, <laughs> but, you know, there you go. <laughs> I used the word synchronicity, I'm, I'm didn't joking. I? God, yeah. I hope Jared's not listening. This would be so embarrassing. Get played back. You remember when you veered into hippiness? Like, <laughs> you want to hear it again? <laughs> going to deny it now? <laughs> when I say hippiness, I mean, uh, and Nick knows what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, the Sears poncho Frank Zappa making fun of hippiness. Not the idea behind it, but the execution of it with uh, in anything. You know, there's even parts of any movement that are ridiculous, stupid, and deplorable. Um, so, uh, I guess uh, I won't be giving you that wind charm for Christmas. Yeah, then. Uh, oh, really, well. unless it's from Arco Santi, then I'll take it. Oh well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey Nick, guess what? It's ten twenty. We're twenty minutes over our uh, uh, time. Do you need to uh, pass out or something? No, I'll go another bit longer. That's fine. All right. All right. Does everybody, uh, uh, do you want to go have pie? Are you, everybody okay? You okay for a little bit? Right. Well, let's go for 10 more minutes. I, just, I, I wanted to throw in, you're talking about the underground bases, and wow, they're real. Um, I can say that uh, for my part of info, um, people, if you got assigned to certain underground installations, um, one of the things I remember a guy telling me that was such a bitch was you had to keep your weight within a certain little range 
um, during the time you served at those because that was all part of your getting in each day to duty. But it was I remember the guy telling me just what a bitch it was to, to keep it within that range. I mean, you couldn't binge. You know, you couldn't have a barbecue weekend or something like that or, or, or whatever. Uh, I mean, you know, you're dealing with a lot of military people. Or most of them are always working out and stuff. But Wow, Walter, wow. Wow. Because you, know, you had to weigh in and weigh out. Yeah. You, know. you, you step on it. Well, I can't go into it any farther. Yeah, of course. You've that already revealed too much. Well, if you guys were to read it in a goddamn article in some type of magazine, you could talk about the details all day. I'd say the same thing. Right, and right, right. Knock, knock, knock. Mr. Bosley. No, no, no. If I ever if I ever get the call of the knock and they say Captain Bosley, I know my ass is in trouble. <laughs> Formerly uh, Captain Bosley, Second Lieutenant oh, no, no, Bosley. No. Oh no, 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 no former, because that's how they get you by the balls. Uh, <laughs> well, I never had to take that oath or sign anything, and uh, I've. It's widely known that for underground bases, you have to weigh. You're weighed when you go in and come out. I, I would never step on a scale in front of another human being, so um, I guess that's a job that uh, I couldn't have. I always had to be taken for body fat, because I'd get on the scale and the guy would go, God damn it, sir! And I'd get the tape out, and they do the body fat thing. Oh, okay, because I've just been plagued with being not small. But... Uh, I, I'm going to start using that as my excuse. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Nick, uh, what I said about the um, spooky government people, do you find some? Uh, what I said, did that ring true to you? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's like any aspect of life. You know, it's like when you get these guys who claim to have fought in Vietnam, you know, and they've bought the badges and the medals at some used garage sale or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. anybody who who is in the company of somebody who's really worked in the military, military or the intelligence community and talks about it in a logical fashion, but who's guarded and knows what to say and what not to say, is very different from the person who sort of brags about going behind enemy lines and doing this and that, and you know what I mean? And <laughs> cannot back up anything. And yeah, it's that biker subgenius thing. I think yeah. I was, you know, I don't pretend to be the world's greatest expert, but I think over time you can tell the difference between someone who's... I guess somebody who's really been working in that arena and someone who's just, you know, he just fantasizes because he watches Rambo all day long, you know what I mean, or something like that. Yeah, so. uh, Nick, uh, yeah, you're you're Different absolutely you're, you're absolutely right. Usually, it's the real people are more willing to tell you what they did not do, and you know, well, I I didn't do that, I wasn't part of that, or here were my limitations. Where the fakers, they're the ones that are saying they were doing all this crap. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that, those yeah. who know don't think, say, yeah, and those who say don't. It's know. always difficult to know if there's an agenda behind why someone's telling you something. You know, I, I don't always listen to the story. You know, I wonder what's the motivation in, in giving me the story in the first place. You know, I think that's an important factor as well. Very. Yeah, you you never know what that that motivation is, and sometimes you never find out. Sometimes no. you find out months, weeks, years later. Um, but it may be that it may be highly important, you know. It's, it's, I often look at what I'm doing at the time. You know, if yeah. somebody approaches you with a story, they find out you're working on a particular book or a, a project, and they approach you with it, and it takes you in a different tangent. Is that because you were on the wrong tangent to start with, or were you actually on the right one, and somebody yeah. wants you to go down the wrong path? Well, why keep doing the book then? Why, why, why would you even continue in that case? 
Well, you know, because I think it's interesting. I think, you know, that the whole thing with a UFO subject is that we don't really know what the full picture is. And I think that to, to deny listening or writing about an aspect of the phenomenon that goes down a totally different path to what somebody else says isn't a bad thing because not just for the sake of doing it, you know, not just for the sake of stirring the pot, which, which could be fun to do anyway, mm. but, but to actually, you know, it's like I always say to people, the U in UFO still stands for unidentified. You know, it may one day be proven to mean alien spacecraft. It yeah. may one day be proven to mean crypto-terrestrial or time travel or interdimensional, but right now it doesn't. Yeah. So, you know, what is wrong with addressing all the different areas that we might get from insider sources. You know, it's, yeah. okay, they're not all going to be right. Well, this goes, goes back to... Until we the... know which one is right, we should put the information out yeah. there, I think. Well, it goes back to the um, uh, uh, the subject we were talking about, is having the, uh, whatever, the project steer you. Um, mm. You know, what what if they are steering you in a direction you don't want to go in, what are you going to find out? Um, and what's your motivation in the first place? Are you there to expose everything to the public or are you there to uh, learn something for yourself is it a combination of the two I always find it's I'm basically very selfish about it it's something I really want to find out if I feel somebody steering me in the wrong direction I will steer them back in the direction I want to be steered and if they don't want to go that way then fine or if they steer me in a direction that they think I want to go in but it's not the right one but I'm interested and I like it screw the right direction I'll go in the direction that's interesting me so you know, there's, there's, it's a difficult, yeah. You know, it's a difficult arena when you're sort of involved with. As I've done it a few times, you know, you speak to elderly whistler, whistleblowers about this or that, and you know, you you just have to listen to the story and just try and validate it or not. And and even if you don't validate it, if it seems you're being deceived, well, that's still a great story to tell if you can prove that there was another agenda at work, or you know, or if the the information actually blows out of the water the thing that you actually thought it was, you know, and, it, and yeah. it does take you down a different path. I think I think it's to the author's credit if you are willing to then follow that path. I don't think there's anything worse than, you know, having a, an already made-up mind that is just not willing to, you know, to go down another pathway, like crop circles. You know, to me, it's fascinating that, people could make these things and actually sort of somehow bring in paranormal phenomena. Now, yeah. if, it, if that was proven, why is that any less fascinating and worthwhile from a, a reading and writing perspective than the fact that it's done by aliens? It's still a fascinating, bizarre story yeah. that has an incredible, an incredible story behind it. So. Which is why we always like to have Nick on this show. It's 10.30 and... Uh, we could talk all night, and uh, we probably would. And but uh, I need to wake up at six o'clock. I don't know when you need to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Nick, is there anything you want to uh, plug, push, or say before we ring off? Um, no, I just say to people: keep thinking, don't have a closed mind. You know, just look at all the evidence for. The thing you're interested in, don't get caught up in belief systems and listen to everybody and then try and make your own conclusions. Excellent advice. Excellent. Yes. Thanks so much, Nick, and I hope I see you um, sooner than the next time there's a documentary being shot somewhere. Yeah, well, that would be good. All right. Well, thanks, guys. I'll see you all later. Bye-bye, Nick.
Bye, Nick. See you later. See ya. Oh, whoa, there goes my phone. Um, Nick Redfern, always a good interview. Everybody that has been on here has provided um, fun conversation, which is why I do this show. Not to, uh, I don't know why I do this show, except just to have fun. So it's the bucks. It's the big bucks. The big bucks. And uh, everybody comes in uh, and spends the time here and donates their time and donates their thought and everything. And it's um, that's a magical thing to me. Not to be a hippie. But, um, <laughs> so uh, thank you, Chica, Jane, and uh, Walter, again, for coming down. And um, if, if everybody's willing, we can go have pay. Pay? 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 Is there something I wanted to play here? I don't I know. Do you, have, do you have a request? I need, I need to plug something really quickly. Go, please, do. Uh, ForbiddenKnowledgeTV.com is my new website. And you can, actually, you should subscribe to it because it's more about the newsletter that I send out every day. It's short. Short and sweet. ForbiddenKnowledgeTV.com. ForbiddenKnowledgeTV.com. Um, Chica's newest project. Which uh, is Scott. 10,000 subscribers after only two and a half months. Of Yay. She's doing something right. Jane, is there something you want to uh, plug, push, protest, announce, or whatever? Uh, no. I think that's great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Maybe I should have killed four or five, then I would have felt better. Then when I felt like I really offered society something. I think he said four or five. You've got it stuck in your brain that I murdered somebody. What do you want to call me a murderer for? I've never killed anyone. I don't need to kill anyone. I think it. I have it here. Uh, The street is my world. I don't, uh, I don't pretend to go uptown and be anything fancy. I can... But I find more real in the world that I'm in than I do the tinsel. And the real world is the one I have to deal with every day, you know. Uh, Believe me, if I started murdering people, there'd be none of you left. (laughs) I always like that one. We will see you next week. Thanks so much. And uh, keep your eyes and ears open and stuff and things.